welcome to episode 22 of Lost in Translation. As always, uh, with Bobby Martin, I'm Sam Perkins. We're coming to you once again from the WCTV studios in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Uh, joining us today, I'm not even going to say hi to Bobby because this is a, a pretty cool one, is uh, current actor, former professional mm-hmm. basketball player, uh, I think lifelong foodie, lover of of great food, cooking, urban exploration, general badassery. Uh, Dane DeLegro, who is famous now for playing the Predator in the movie Prey, although we'll get into the cannot talk about many movies currently because he is a a member on the picket lines of the uh, SAG actors and writers strike, which we proudly support. We proudly support unions and, and writers and, and getting paid a, a, a reasonable wage but dane it is and bobby as always welcome but dane it's it's thrilling it's been a very long time yeah it has been a long time it's uh it's good to be back in uh, the commonwealth you know in the nation red sox nation dude. <laughs> you had a uh a a a blueberry uh dunkin donuts donut a little while a ago. quarter of one a quarter of one yeah so I'll be a quarter of one, but it's uh, you're you're getting back in touch with your 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 Massachusetts roots. Duncan does exist in L.A. It does, but it ain't the same. No, the, the, they don't have that dirty water, you know. So I, I saw, for me, you know, Duncan guy. I saw the blueberry cake. It's my favorite. I went for a quarter of it. I had to. So is is Duncan as prolific in L.A. as it is here? No, because L.A. is a massive, massive like donut city. Oh, and you see Randy's and you know Tasty Donuts and there there's a donut shop on every block in California in okay. Los Angeles. It's yeah. it's like they're famous for that. It's mm. it's it's uh it's really crazy actually. They have very very good donuts. You but, know, it makes me think this is a very minor thing compared to some of the stuff we're going to talk about. But like you're 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 a food guy. You always have been. You've had. We'll talk about your journeys with with being a midnight snack beast and, <laughs> and former sandwiches and 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 spending time in prolific restaurants in Italy and all that stuff. And I always see like amazing food in your stories and stuff. But you were talking about how you had a quarter of a blueberry cake donut. Right. So like, bad. Are, are you, do you, do you like really watch what you're eating for the most part? And yeah. these are like treats. Cause like you were, you were posting like dumpling house early, earlier today uh, or yesterday. And, and so I always wonder like, are you one of those, you just work out so much you can eat whatever. Or do you really have to watch? What you're I'm on vacation right now. So for me, you know, and I'm back home. When I'm back on the West Coast, I'm, you know, it's, it's, I keep it pretty tight. Uh, you know, towards the tail end of my college career, and we can discuss this later, I, I was a part of something we called the program. And we were on something called the diet. <laughs> okay. And, it was the strictest thing I've ever done in my life. And the way I, the way I guide my culinary intake is based upon that diet. It's just called the diet. And what it was, you can't eat it. You can only eat it if it walks, swims, flies, or is a green vegetable, or is mustard. That's it. Awesome memory. It's awesome. Plain. <laughs> hamburgers but like no bun no bun bun. just a burger patty with mustard for breakfast and kale (laughs) i was eating and you can eat as much as no peanut butter 
You can't eat eggs. That's it. So fruit is out. Any vegetable that's not green is out. Can't eat carrots, too much sugar. I got in the best shape of my life. I went into my senior year, I was like 7% body fat. This, because this, part, this program is a basketball training program based out of the gorgeous facilities at Waverly Oaks <laughs> Detention Center. And I'm no longer there. <laughs> and we, it wasn't a lot of cardio because we, we did play pickup, we did go up and down, but it was mostly, mostly, mostly half court stuff. It didn't have to be because this diet kept me so tight I went in, I stayed the same weight. We trained with this guy named Keith Alpert, okay? <laughs> and he loved eccentric workouts. And we would, he would count, you know, you're doing pull-ups, you're not doing 20 pull-ups, you're doing three pull-ups, and it's you have a Bobby Martin count of 10, nine, eight, <laughs> and he gets down to two, and he gives you three twos, three, two, two, <laughs> two, <laughs> this, Bobby. Sorry, can we swear? We can't yeah, swear in this. Swear. Oh. Yeah. Three, two counts, and then you can drop off the... I was jacked. My weight stayed the same, but my body fat plummeted because of this diet. You know what's interesting is now, with the counts, I've changed it from repeating a number. I've advanced. I go from three to two to one to 0.5. Oh, wow. Because kids today are so woke. If you, if you don't go down, they'll call you on your by the way, Bobby, I want to congratulate you. I, you know, um, I'm happy to see that you're escalated from 1926. You've gotten <laughs> that thing had 450,000 miles on and, it, and it was rolling strong. Man. That, man, rolling. Those axles were tired. Those axles were crying, man. Every pothole in Boston you went over is your big ass. God, I hope you gave that thing away to Cars for Kids. I you hope you donated I did. that. I actually did. Did you really? Kids, you know, Cars for Kids. I don't want to hear the song, but God bless you. That's uh, you know, it's it's uh, man, that Escalade saw it. I went that thing went to Nam and back. Yes, it did. Man. Great engine, great engine. Yeah, I love Cadillac. Congrats, man. yeah, America, you know, America built strong. But that's congratulations oh. on the upgrade. Oh, um, yeah, that Escalade is famous. It, it that I remember that Escalade. That was that was something. It's that's that's seen war that it was like uh well there's a movie tom cruises in where the day repeats yep there's that thing that escalate lived that every day for like 45 years the same thing same pothole going down 95 93 into bu and you know waltham they don't do the potholes so it's you know it's like a minefield out there so but yes i keep it tight with my diet but my diet is based on this this uh this diet i was put on in 2010 summer so it's funny going back that far. What would you say just overall? Because your journey has been a pretty amazing one. When you think of, I mean, there there have been so many interviews, and I would like to say that I was the first person to do, like, I think a real interview article when you're oh, like sure. a freshman at, you know, you've gone on to far bigger and better things than that. But um, this journey from when you were a kid in Lexington that you used to always say that, like, you know, you were much more into pretending to be a dinosaur than That's basketball right. to division one scholarship to very high levels of pro hoops one of the if not the best but now the kid jalen smith i think has he certainly if you look at where he's playing at from unh but up until him you probably had the best pro career of anyone that's gone through the university of new hampshire basketball is my number getting retired i don't know Probably not. We never won a damn thing. University of no hardware. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's cool. It's cool. And it's interesting. Um, 
you know, I always, I always like to say I'm just a six eight white Jewish kid from Lexington, and I, you know, I went through Lexington High School. I didn't make varsity until junior year. Um, I mean, we'll take it back even further. The best thing that ever happened to my young basketball career was I got cut from the sixth, seventh, and eighth grade basketball teams. I got cut. I didn't make the Diamond Middle School basketball team. So what I did was I went to the high school and I asked to be the varsity water boy for the basketball team. My dad was friends with the coach, Bob Farias, legend. I mean, it's like probably the biggest impact on my basketball career of anybody. And I became the water boy and I didn't play basketball, but I was around high level basketball and Lexington basketball was one of the better teams in, in Massachusetts. I mean, we were taking charges in practice, uh, just coach Farius's ethos and, and, and style of play was unparalleled. And those three years, were ingrained into my system. I used this failure to, to make myself even better. So when it came time to get to the high school, I know Farius's program like the back of my hand. I've already been there. I just did a three-year internship with him. And was I the greatest player? No, I didn't start at my freshman year on the freshman team. Uh, I started my sophomore year on JV and then finally junior year I made varsity. I don't think I started every game. But I was just your average player. I, you know, in high in my senior year, I think. Excuse me, I'm burping. These Poland's yeah. polar man. There's <laughs> there's such a zing on these I things. I know. <laughs> polar beverage. Shout out to Worcester, Massachusetts. These polar beverages are the best. They don't make seltzers like this out in the West Coast. No, they polar is is I love it. I love it. I'm I, I'm not, it's not burping, but I'm going to be erping a lot during this because I'm I'm pulling these things down. Um, so you know, I, I think I averaged like nine and nine my my senior year I was six seven 215 pounds and i wasn't you know we had jimmy o'keefe on our team the gatorade player of the year in massachusetts he was a six foot three five man and it was the greatest thing ever because we ran every play through him well he only shot like not only but he shot 50 percent, which means it's going in half the time the other half the time it's coming off the rim i'm on the other i'm on the other side of the paint so i had like seven offensive rebounds a game <laughs> all these stickbacks it was great um and from there i went to worcester academy and also in high school the greatest thing my father ever told me was if you don't make me pay for school you don't have to get a job so basketball became my job and my freshman year of high school my brother went on he's a walk-on at syracuse and we started going to these games at the carrier dome you played in the carrier dome mm -hmm. What an environment, right? Absolutely incredible. You're 30,000 plus in that play. It's a football stadium yes. that they, they lay the basketball court down on. Yep. And I'm coming from the Ralph Lord Gymnasium in Lexington, Massachusetts, that holds 450 people to Big East basketball. When it Pittsburgh. was Big East, yeah. Well, when the Big East, yeah. Pittsburgh, Notre Dame. No, I mean, no Notre Dame at that time. Was it? was it? Yeah, I remember. Yeah, sure. Were they in the Big East at that, at I that think time? So, yeah. Maybe they were. Okay. Yeah. All right. Georgetown? Yep. They're not an original. That's why I just. They're not original? Yeah. Okay. All right. We'll take them out. We'll strike them. St. <laughs> John's, yeah. Rutgers. No, Rutgers was no? not original. No, no. <laughs> well, those are the teams yeah, I yeah. saw. And my goodness, this is, this is basketball. And did my brother play? No. 
but I'm still at these games. I'm in the locker room after, and I saw this. I, similar to my, you know, Waterboy experience. It's just being around that. It just puts something in you, and you just see how these dudes carry themselves and walk around and train and 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 their approach. You watch them before the game. How how, how what they're focusing in on. What you know. It's special, and like I was granted those things, and it really helped propel me forward. So I wanted to get a scholarship for school, and you know I went to Worcester Academy, which helped immensely. You know, Coach Eddie Riley up there gave me an opportunity. Um, I went from six seven two fifteen to six eight two thirty five. You know, don't get me wrong; those schools are prestigious. They're those private you know, Northeastern schools, but you're, you're an athlete student there. Yeah. I mean, you're there to, you're there to hoop. You're, you're put your PG. Everyone knows why you're there. And that's when basketball became really serious for me. Um, I wanted to go to BU terribly, terribly. And Dennis Wolf told me I couldn't help them. I wanted to go to Northeastern, not as bad, but I wanted to go. Uh, they offered me a three for four not paying for school so that's off the table merrimack offered me a three for four and they were division two at the time yeah the only solid offer i had early on was unh university of new haven (laughs) division two took a visit there and they said to me we want you to come in and defend rebound the whole deal blah 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 I come back from my official visit and I'm telling all my friends, I just went to UNH. Oh my God, UNH just offered me. I didn't say it was New Haven, I said it was UNH. I didn't end up signing there. UNH, University of New Hampshire in the spring, initially told me no. And it was Coach Harry and Bossman's first year and they only had three returning guys. So many people left the team. And their big man, Sam Herrick, left. So UNH came back and said, actually, you can come. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm taking an official visit first. So I went there. I did an official visit. Alvin Abreu and I together. And that was my only other offer was UNH and UNH. And it was my only choice, Division One that I had. I was I wanted to go to Pepperdine. They didn't return. They didn't answer my letter. My brother wouldn't let me go to Syracuse because um, I, I probably wasn't getting a scholarship there. <laughs> and yeah, that was my option. So I went to UNH, my dad, you know, alumni. And uh, I was a very fortunate situation. I started right off the bat. And I didn't know what the f- I was doing. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I was a defiant, crazy, like, you know, I, 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 entitled six, eight white Jewish kid from Lexington, Massachusetts. I don't know. (laughs) And, uh, and I knew I had to play. I knew I was going to play, you know, um, I played hard. I was never the most talented guy in the gym, but I knew there was no one who was going to outwork me. And, you know, coach, you've seen coach Harry style of play. He's not throwing the ball in. No, this isn't, you know, you know, pour out one in, let's roll it into Dane and we can just go back on defense. So I had to rebound. I had to defend. That was my thing. Um, 
we weren't a great three-point shooting team, but we were a three-point shooting team. I know. That was this, one of the staples of those teams up there. He got really, back when I was actually, like, you know, covering the small American East Conference and stuff, he got really pissed at me because I would ask him, like, hey, like, percentage-wise. He got pissed at a lot of people. Yeah, you guys. Uh, <laughs> it's tough yeah. not to be pissed all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I just remember being like, you know, you think maybe you guys shoot too many three-pointers based on on – your your percentages and all that sort of stuff and he got he got really mad at me you know i <laughs> yeah. I, I will say this, i i hand it to basketball coaches coach harrion coach bain bob it ain't easy coaching is not easy i i'll tell you what, i ain't doing it yeah people say oh you retired you're gonna be you can go into coaching <laughs> no i'm not coaching <laughs> why i was a figure it out guy yeah i i didn't i couldn't take coaching i can't dish it out Coaching is so hard. You have a guy who, like, you can't put heart in people. You can't teach heart. Yeah. You have a guy who has no pulse, could be talented, looks great in warm-ups, looks great in drills, gets out there, just plays with no heart. How do you put heart into somebody, you know? it's Coaching is tough. You know, I, one of the craziest things to me in hindsight, and so BU didn't offer Dennis Wolf and 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 you were there for the the end of his career. You know, his career came to an end. They didn't, yeah. they didn't get back, and... Dennis Wolf was all about rebound, defend, rebound, defend, and that's who you. So it's crazy. Yeah, when let's you, go. Let's should we go over his big man one by one yeah. and let, let, let Dennis Wolf know, know how badly he <laughs> up every time we. You were at the BU game. I, yeah. I don't care if we won or lost. I was. I averaged sixteen and ten against yeah. those mother. <laughs> every time we played BU, I made it a point to play well, and I re, I specifically remember there was one instance up up in Lundholm in, in New Hampshire, and every time because they had Jeff Pelage. Yep. Uh, I think they had a kid named Will Creekmore at some yep. point. Yep. Um, and I would just get the ball and I would just bowl into the middle of the paint and go up and get fouled. And I remember Corey Lowe, after a foul call, they were huddled, go, he's just trying to get fouled every time. You're absolutely right, Corey. And guess what? I kept doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I, it was, BU was like the game where I was so uber focused, thousand yard stare, you know? Yep. Don't talk to me before the game. I, I had to prove a point. I wanted to go there so bad. Um, and being told by Eddie Riley that I couldn't help them, mm-hmm. that was like, that's all I needed. That's all I, all, like, please, please, anyone who's listening to this, please count me out. All I need is for someone to count me out. Thank you. Because I'm going to use that against you and make you look stupid. That's all I need. I'm Like I said, I'm not the most talented guy in the gym, but I'm going to take that and it will fuel the fire what when you say that and i will definitely say that you know uh dane one of the hardest workers that i ever saw and and rebounders and when you look at offensive rebounding offensive rebounding is the biggest effort stat in basketball because you don't have positioning shots coming off the rim just by nature if you're a big man you're typically posting up with a defender behind you so you got to go through him maybe another guy in the america east when it's you're at unh and you're they're playing They'll play four out, one in, but the one in, all he's there to do is rebound. He's not getting the ball thrown to him. Oh, I was and, a screen setter. And, and the four out are, are just jacking up shots. Like uh, I led the league in screen assists, yeah, you're, which isn't a stat. Yeah. In college. You're, you're, you're going to be going through a lot of guys to get rebounds. So that's an effort. But like right. when you say Northeastern and then Merrimack, which was Division Two at the time, offered you three for four, what do you mean by that? Uh, I had to pay for it. I would have to pay for a year of school. And then they gave me the gotcha. next, the next three years that's and if you look at uh during and bert hamill rest his soul the legend the legend amazing guy i'll never my i went my visit into his office i'll never forget he, he said 
Like you're gonna go to all these schools and they're gonna tell you how important school is. F all that. You're here to play basketball. I don't care if you have a girlfriend. I don't care if you're a scientist. You're here to f hoop. I was like, wow, this guy means business. As soon as three for four came out of his mouth, I was checked out. <laughs> I was gone. So uh, be before, because I really want to get into, I still vividly remember, I put up a mix years later of the first game of your college career oh, on yeah. YouTube. I, I still I, watch that sometimes. I, 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 I put that one up. But before we even get into that, Tell me about growing up in Lexington. You know, you talked about good basketball. You guys did. I was older than you. I'm, I'm older than you. I graduated high school uh, a couple of years before you did, but I still kind of followed Cambridge Ridge and Latin where I went. Sure. And I remember I you drove guys, by there today. Yeah, it's 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 uh, still looks like a prison, but yeah. you know, I just I remember you guys when you were there smacking Ringe, and it was like in, I think in the state tournament maybe or maybe it was just regular season, but it was like man, this team of like white kids from Reese Freeman yeah I came in and who's the Reese Freeman was the point guard when you were there I can't remember now were they any good then I mean Ringe well, always competed. we always saw them in the playoffs yeah they, they and it was just you know you grow up in the city and you go to a you know majority minority school and you think about you know yeah but we had the god's hand of Metco yeah <laughs> we had the Metco program <laughs> we were shipping in kids from Roxbury Dorchester mm -hmm. all the kids that were supposed to go to Madison Park and O'Brien yeah they would come to Lexington right? <laughs> that's why Lexington was so good <laughs> it's true but you guys have had some homegrown hoopers that have played overseas true. too that's um, true which is is not exactly common for a, a small you know a suburban school in Massachusetts so, so there's a pretty uh, epic pipeline. I actually drove by the high school and saw they're completely redoing the outdoor courts. They're all like yes, yes. Down and those were that's where I heralded a lot of my when my dad told me don't get a job. Those center courts, middle of summer, ninety degrees. I'd be sometimes mm -hmm. the only one out there shooting. Court. And you know, and they dedicated those courts to Coach Farias. Yep. Those are the Farias courts now. Um, but I'm glad it's nice to see they're putting money into those. Um, the, but. The, the great thing about there, even when I was in high school, is they leave the light. They, I don't know what they'll do with the new courts, but they would leave the lights on. So you yeah. could go there and play. You shoot whenever. Well, it's smart for a town. You want your high school team to be good. Leave the lights on at the court, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, it's like well, you're turning off the court. You're turning off hoops. Yeah. You know, so. What, what was it like growing up in Lexington? Because it's always a kind of a fat to me because I grew up in the city and, and I never really got to experience the suburbs other than going out in the summer occasionally. And, and I know Lexington well as far as a city kid knows it because there was a lot of stuff to go out to to get away from the city in that sure. area. But what was life like growing up in Lexington? Yeah, I won't lie. It was pretty comfortable. I um, I was very, for, very fortunate to live, to have grown up in Lexington. Um, my mom just sent me an article today, the, the top 50 high schools in America. There's only just, one. I saw that this one. There's only one in Mass. From, from the Northeast. Right from the, is it the Northeast? Okay. It's, yeah. it's uh, Lexington. Lexington High, yeah. And we were always good. We were always pretty good. I think we have like a 99.6% graduation okay. rate. And the student-teacher ratio is 13 to 1, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, my dad. My dad's from Somerville, Massachusetts. My mom's from Revere, Massachusetts. You know, my dad has a physical education degree from University of New Hampshire. And he grinded his ass and, you know, had his whole Nike deal. And we he moved to Lexington early and, you know, very fortunate. I had a very nice upbringing. The biggest argument I've ever seen my parents have is where we're going to dinner that night, what restaurant we're going to. And, you know, pretty much alcohol, free house, no parties, no issues, no nothing. You know, my older, my brother Ross is four years older than me. My sister Dara is five. And pretty standard 
um, maybe even boring on paper, but I lived a pretty supported life. Um, and, you know, to be at Lexington and eventually Worcester Academy, very fortunate to have that system under me. And yeah, it was definitely interesting. So um, when, did, when did you head to Worcester Academy? Uh, I graduated high school in 06, and then I took the extra year. I just wasn't ready, okay. and I wanted to be a scholarship guy. At six, seven, two, fifteen, as of four or five, I, no one's offering me um, a scholarship at that point. Oh, was that still Jamie Sullivan? Uh, Jamie Sullivan was their assistant. Jamie okay. Sullivan, Dan O'Sullivan yep. was our big man coach, okay. and Coach Eddie Riley was our head coach. Okay. He was also the director of athletics there. Um, Worcester is crazy because you're now you're going from a 2,800 person school to a 400 person school where you're wearing a suit and tie every day, and there's like rules and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you, Sam, you know about me and rules. Yeah, we're gonna get into that in a, in a little bit. But uh, my a question I had for you is so the the prep school experience is one thing. Gunshots going to bed. It was loud. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was interesting too. The the transition from going to Worcester, Durham, New Hampshire is so quiet. Yeah. From, you know, I was used to city sounds and gunshots and honking and people screaming. And then you go to Durham and it's super quiet. I couldn't fall asleep but during summer school. I had, like it was so my ears were ringing, you know, it's just the crickets. Out there. Um, yeah. But like, you know, Worcester Academy on Providence Hill, you know, you got the fence yep. and you're inside your little mini, mini, mini college campus there. And outside that fence, man, whew, it is uh, it's tough. It's a tough area. Did, did you ever like get off campus to go see like were you because now you are uh you are an adventurer were yeah. you an adventurer back then did you worcester may i have feel like you're little... leading into something here no i, I i'm just curious. like i lived in worcester for and i loved it when but I you was don't there, know what happened when i was at worcester academy no, I, maybe i did but i'm forgetting it's been so long what, what, oh yeah what happened i uh my senior project was about the abandoned state hospitals of massachusetts that's right and I highlighted Metropolitan State Hospital, yeah. all these hospitals that they cut budgeting in the 90s and they vacated and they just left. All, they called them state hospitals, but they were psychiatric, psychiatric institutions and they just left everything there. So, you know, me, urban explorer who likes to go into decaying and abandoned and forgotten things, you know, around cities, specifically psychiatric hospitals. Um, in October, I went into Worcester State Hospital and I was with my teacher and uh, we got arrested. Um, trespassing. Trespassing with intent to commit a felony, which is arson, uh, because there had been fires in that building. And there was a giant fence you had to climb and you know, then you get in the building. And it's so stupid, we shouldn't have went in. And I, I was taking photos, I was documenting this building and uh, and then we saw the cop car outside and she was like, you know, we should go. It was her and her friend and myself. You can imagine the rumors that were swirling around school yeah. after this happened. But you're um, a crackhead. what's that? You're a crackhead hanging out there. No. Oh, I no. think something nefarious think, going on with yeah. the teacher. Yeah. yeah. She, the, not a crackhead, but they thought I was cracking her. Yeah. <laughs> um, wasn't happening. Um, yeah. I should have hopped the fence and let them go and then ran in the other direction because they were they were to go talk to the police officer. I should have just ran away. Um, but yeah, we got arrested. They, the school let her go. I, uh, oh I spent God. the day in the head locked in the headmaster's office. They didn't know what to do with me. And, um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And then she was like the fan favorite teacher. Um, and 
Yeah, that was wild. That was really, really wild. It was the only time I've ever been arrested. And I was in, I was in lockup for like 12 hours in Worcester uh, doing push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. They had like, the phone is like in the cement of the wall. Yeah. And if you want to make a collect call, you hold this button down for an operator. And that like, it's just like the earpiece and then the mouthpiece in the cement. And I push button and go, excuse me, what time is it? It is 3 a.m. Okay, thank you. And then, you know, hang up. Because you, you know. Yeah crazy yeah who, who who did you call your parents from there no i called my sister i was too scared to call my parent like my dumbass 17 year old thinking my frank delegro is not going to find out i got arrested <laughs> with my teacher and yeah they they found out they found out but um yeah it was it was that was that was a tough time that was a tough time but uh, uh, you know no charges nothing uh technically like she shouldn't have gotten fired because they didn't find anything for us. Yeah. This police officer was just trying to make an example. Um, we were in there for like a student project, but shouldn't have been in there, but. The record expunged? Yeah. Did, well, did, I think so. I hope did, so. Did, did, was there, do you feel like that incident, I know already you were rough around the edges player and, and, and everything, but do you feel like that compounded how hard it was to get? Do you think that that worked? against you no or? i don't think no. anyone knew about that but that, that that does speak on like my character on the court of just like the rules don't really exist to me um and i've kind of always been like that um you're you're the, the word i still use very often that you um introduced to me was irreverent it's <laughs> kind of doing whatever i want so, um yeah so you know I still remember when we went urban exploring in 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 Waltham. Fernald, yeah, Fernald yeah. School, and that was an experience. fun fact. My dad used to work there. Really, as a gym teacher. Yeah, it, crazy. It. I have a love for 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 decaying things and and kind of post apocalyptic looking things. And but even for me, that was pretty. I was like, oh my god, the floor could give out underneath yeah. us. Is no one would know that. You know, I was texting with Bill the other day. I was like, should we go? Should we go? Should we go do something? <laughs> He's like, oh man, we can't. <laughs> It's tough now. You get like you get arrested when you're 17 yeah. for breaking into the hospital. Oh, like uh stupid kids, you know. Yeah. You get arrested at 35 yep. for breaking into a band. Oh, like yeah. what were you doing here? Exactly. I was just checking out. No, you weren't. Yeah. Like the, the the everyone's just looking for a reason to cancel someone. So there's <laughs> there, you know, that's an article waiting to happen. Yeah. Is, is me getting arrested. It's just not worth it anymore. <laughs> Stealing copper. No, <laughs> don't do that. So, so you get up to UNH. And it's a different world, and you're playing for for Wild Bill up there, who started started wearing like uh, Nike. First, it was like dry fit shirts underneath his 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 yeah. collar shirt I was and sweaty. tie, yeah. and, and and then he just gave up, and it was like mock turtlenecks and no shirt and tie. Like, yeah. he, he gets a little little into it on the sidelines. What was that that experience like when you get up there for him? And I still remember your first game ever. You just went up and just just dunked it on two like seven footers john from oates AC. yeah john oates and uh the transfer he's a transfer from florida state sutherland was that his name no it was sutherland no was sutherland BC. was on the team yeah. terrell blair BC, right? terrell blair oh, yeah, yeah. terrell no it wasn't was no but blair maybe it was blair oh because no it was shamari spears was out okay yeah. and tyrese rice were yeah. out because <clears throat> i'm not going to mention any names um but uh, someone snitched on them that they played in an unsanctioned uh, game in the uh, off season. I'm not going to mention any names. <laughs> um, anyway, so his initials were. Yeah, we're going to edit that one out. We're going to edit. It. Yeah, it's Juan Carlos Barrea. Um, anyway, so 
So they were out. Yeah. In my first career points was, was dunk. That game was crazy. I like yeah. I blacked out. I think I had like ten and eleven or something. You you um, did, and I remember it was like before that game, people were talking about oh you and H and that that maybe they've got a pretty decent like you know post player in like James Valadares, and then it was like <laughs> Dane Delegra just dunking on everyone and just rebounding everything. Yeah, it was it was that was a fun game, even though we lost by ten. Um, you know, we cut it pretty close. Um, excuse me, the polar. Um, <laughs> but you know, coach. Coach Heron was never big on like moral victories, but you know, th there were definitely a bunch of positives he took out of that. Um, we were like three and one, I think in the, but UNH, we always played these bunk ass teams yeah. in the preseason. We're playing division three teams, Leslie, Suffolk. Come on, man. Yeah, we just yeah. seen the year you were playing UConn. Right? We did, we lost to UConn by four. Jim Calhoun pushed the red button under a seat, yeah. came, you know, <laughs> crunch time. <laughs> and then they went on to win the Maui Invitational, and then they won the national championship. Yeah. But we we did we came close. Alex Oriaki, um, I remember that oh, UConn game. I still have a scar on my neck from Tyler Olander scratching, <laughs> gra like clawing at a rebound. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun, and you know, it, it was UNH was a special place. It was it's a great campus. It's you know. It, not a very sport heavy school but it's a great all-around overall school Fifteen thousand people durham new hampshire great place to be um pretty good culture there and i'm i'm grateful um i wish looking back i you know i have a degree in tourism and business i wish i studied like sustainable agriculture something they really specialized in something that i could like that's like important i wanted to open open up a, a chain of surfboard rental shops in waikiki hawaii that's what i wanted to do i'm not kidding I'm not kidding. I, I wanted to, to do that. And then I realized someone came up with that before me. Well, I mean, at least it wasn't Maui. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Um, I wish I was a double major, sustainable agriculture and theater, which we will get into later. But I just I, I really wish I had a theater degree. Um, but yeah. And then and then, like I said, you know, going into my senior year, I remember my junior year, we the, the first and only time we ever played in the Aganis Arena. Uh, I think that's when I met. Bobby, yeah. Tony met you. Were you were you at that game? He was. Uh, I think he was. Was was Corey there then? Yeah, Corey. He was a DU at that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And because he was a year, he would have been a senior when Dan was a junior. And then you know, that's how the program came into my life. I just I know also that you had that Italian citizenship, so that's great because you have doors that are already open from that. that but for me, it was great because Wayne taught me how to shoot free throws up and through, and he taught me this whole. Every you want to know something really funny? Every time I shot a free throw in my pro career and it went in, I always backpedaled and said, "Thank you, Wayne." That wasn't worth twenty percent. No, no, because okay. I was a sixty percent free throw shooter. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have been lower. I would have been lower. But it was, um, yeah. I just, you know, I, I, yeah. That was a that was a tough. I, I still think about that the way that turned out to this day. But I made some amazing friends through Julian Vaughn. Jason Love, Justin Harper, those are still Corey Lowe, those are still all my boys. Um and you know the and just that that program did did, you know, was the diet was great for me. Do you still think back cuz your junior year the way it ended if, if my timeline is maybe it was your sophomore year actually. All right, it's, this is showing my age. No, if it was Tyrese Gibbs senior year that would have been your sophomore Tyrese yeah. Gibbs' senior year was my sophomore year. Okay, correct? so it was your sophomore year was really was the closest that UNH has ever come to 
because you guys are up. Was it the Binghamton? You talking yeah, about Binghamton? Yeah, when yeah, Radar yeah. threw it to uh, yep, to, it. to uh, Tiki that's Tiki t- Maben. That's exactly just what gave him the ball. Yeah, that was. You guys were up with like less than a minute thirty left, and UMBC had upset. BU. Right. They were and so you were a minute thirty from hosting the championship game. Right. And then and that play by radar and not to throw him on it, but just it just was like No, oh, no don't throw him under the bus. He, like, I think because Coach Harry drew up a play and Radar, who's from Cameroon, I think he interpreted that play as okay, I'm going to take the ball and just give it to the other team. <laughs> and that's exactly what he did. So his the plan in his head worked perfectly. That was his that was his agenda. And I said, I'm just going to throw this ball away. We're, we're, I think we're up two with like eight seconds. I think we were eight seconds yeah, away. It was, something, it was it was something astronomically small. I remember against right. the, uh, that Binghamton stack team, and you guys had they had, had just, Tiki Maben. They had some dude Alv. Uh, yeah, Malik Alvin. Malik they had, Alvin. They had uh, DJ Rivera. DJ Rivera. Yeah, from they had three major D1 yeah. transfers. They were like an AAU team. Who's the coach? Kevin Kevin Brodus. Yeah, it was it was Brodus. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. it was Brodus, and then. That off season, it's funny. Fell, Snoop Dogg, fell apart. You know, Snoop Dogg's real name is Kevin Broadus. Yeah, I, I know. It. I know. Yeah, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. But that, that that off season, everything fell apart. Broadus got fired. It was like it right. was all but, that but sort but of like off the, But that was a stacked team. I remember because UMBC won, yep. and I remember Coach Moore was talking about like removing all the workout equipment from the upper level of, yeah. of Lundholm and putting stands up there. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that would be cool. But this is Binghamton. We're probably not gonna, and, you know. <laughs> and then we. We had the game. Yep. You guys threw it away. I could not believe like it was literally like they're gonna win. Like I really liked that team that you were on. Just like I mean, I wasn't a part of it, but like yeah. but just from the outside looking in, like Alvin Abreu, great guy. You just you, you look at that roster and have never been there before. Young yeah. you guys were all sophomores, were young, and it's oh, like yeah. this could be a game changer. You make the championship game, you guys are gonna win at home, probably. I mean, Daryl Proctor was was a monster on that that UMBC team, but, but you're that's playing about at home. It. And yeah, you're playing at home. You guys are going to win that game. And that as sophomores, you go dancing. UNH has never done that. You know, I'm going to bring up a, a, a source, but I just, I remember Tyrone Conley had an insane dunk in that game. He did. That he, he did. That's right. And I think, but did Colby go off? Maybe Colby went yes, off a little bit. I, yeah. Yeah. Colby did go off. Yeah. And then radar, the only six foot three, five man in the league. He was a, he was an eighth year senior, whatever he was. <laughs> I love Radar. I love Radar. He's my brother. Oh, God, man. Come on. Yeah, I mean, that oh. that clip is out there somewhere. That pass. I mean, it was just... Oh, yeah, I haven't looked at that was, in a long time. That was. I wouldn't recommend it. We were in, we were, we were in Albany. I remember that. Yeah. Um, my goodness. Yeah, that was, that was rough. That was very rough. Uh, and then I went on to Israel. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. So... <laughs> All these years later, because you're there was, I think, a lot of, uh, I would say that probably you and Coach Harrington didn't have the best relationship no, when you were there. Absolutely not. All these years later, what would you say about that? All right, so here, so here goes, and he knows this. You know, I went up to school last year and actually spoke to the team, and he was like, so he was like, what, what happened to you? I was shocked when I saw that posted, by the way, that you up there. I was like, I didn't think you and him could ever coexist in the same room. Though. Yeah. Well, it took me starring in a freaking movie and being 10 years removed for them to like acknowledge that I went to school there. Um, but here's the deal. I went to UNH. I was never super talented. I was probably underutilized, which is fine. Um, That's very safe to say. Yeah. 
And another thing, you know, I want to throw anyone under the bus, but one thing that really did bug me, I'm airing it all out tonight. Uh, my senior year, up until my senior year, we always voted for captains. Now, I'm a three-year starter going in. And I remember my senior year, we just mysteriously didn't vote for captains. And they just said, we're going to pick who the captains are. And I'll never forget, they brought me up into the office with James Valderas as well. And they said, we're not going to make you captains, but that doesn't mean you can't be a leader. <laughs> what? I can't imagine that going over well with any college athlete. No. And I was just like, that was crazy. That's crazy. You know, Coach Ryan and I, during the season, never really got along well. You know, I, I was never great at understanding the line between, like, friends, coach. And listen, I wasn't the easiest guy to coach in the world. I had been thrown – if they gave out fines in college, I would have been in the negative. There, if you go up to Lundholm to this day, I don't know, maybe they fixed it. In the back left corner of the gym, there's a there are two storm doors coming out of the gymnasium that go into the hallway to the stairs down into the dungeon. The right storm door, there's you know you push the bar to open it, is bent. It's bent in the middle part. From every time I got kicked out of practice, I would walk up to the door and Big Show boot that door open with my foot, and at, over time it would just and it was bent in a little bit from how many times I kicked that door from being kicked out of practice. I was not the easiest guy to coach. I was defiant. I did not like authority. Don't get me wrong, but I did play and work hard. I did. So it was an interesting trade-off. Now, I graduated, second all-time leading rebounder or whatever, and I, I went on to play for eight years. Uh, you know, I was in Italy for seven years. I was in Israel, top leagues, you know, all that. You know, we were... When I was in Sassari, we were like number three in Europe for a stretch of time. We had like we had Travis Diener, we had Bootsy Thornton, Drake Diener was on our team, Drew Gordon. We had a squad. Setting screens for Travis Diener was the most fun I've ever had on a basketball court in my life. I for sure set like led the league in screen assist. It was so easy detaching someone's lung who is guarding Travis Diener, and he's just coming off my screens. He's he's hitting the three or he's throwing an alley to Tony easily. It was amazing. It was like, it was incredible. And being on that team in Sardinia, my first year, I drove a 1992 Fiat Marea. That, I went to Sassari. They gave me like a BMW X6. We were in Euro Cup. Like we're going to Serbia. It was amazing. It was unbelievable. Um, and all those years in Italy and Israel, and I tore my ACL the second game of the season in Israel, came back to Siena, averaged like 13 and 11. Um I don't know. You just change and you, when money's on the line, it's just different. And you go pro. It's interesting. You're in high school and there's like a group of people you have to be good with to get to the next level. And the, the next level, everyone you're with was in that good group at high school. So then in college, you have to be in the good group of that good group of people to go to the next level. Right. And the, in the pro, like there's an even better group of that good group of the good group that you have to be really good in to keep advancing. It's really hard. And like the higher up level in competition you get, it gets really lonely because everyone is just more and more out for themselves. Bobby knows this. When you're in a team and you have a dude in your team making 
X amount, six figures, high six figures, and he has a family to provide for, do you think he gives a f about your livelihood in the, in the long run? Probably not. So a lot of people are out for themselves. You're on teams where if you're not producing, you're gone. You're gone in two seconds and they will, there is 4,500 other people they will find to replace you who will gladly do it in two seconds, who are sitting at home in Saratoga Springs, Sarasota Springs, whatever, who will gladly get on a plane and fly to Italy or Spain or Russia or whatever and take your spot from you. So you got to learn if you're defiant, if you don't like authority, you're going to learn real quick how to live with authority and people telling you what to do at the pro level. So for me, I'm not a guy who can rely on my talent, as I've said. Yes, hard work is nice, but hard work and 50 cents gets you a cup of coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. That's about it. So I learned real fast. And when I went back to school last year to talk to the team, and I explained to them, look, here's the deal. You're all... It's all privilege to be here. Everyone that's on scholarship right now is a it's like this is a privilege to be here. If you want to be successful in life, in anything, on the court, in an office, on a stage, wherever, the person that employs you, your boss, it is your job to make them believe that you are bought into their system. If that person does not believe in you, you will not be successful. You need to show up every day early, do your job, shut the up, and that's it, and be happy. Say yes and be happy, because that's what it boils down to. If Coach Harian, if whatever, any coach knows that you're a guy that he can put in the game and is going to produce for him and give him results that will help the team, you more often than not, you're going to play. You're going to be successful. Um, and that's what it boils down to. Know your job, be really good at it, do it better than anyone else does, and say yes to That's really what it boils down to, whether you're in an office. If it, you know, I have one tattoo in my body, it says work harder, it's on my wrist. It's not going anywhere. Why? Because your job is never done. My, my fourth year overseas, I was in Israel. I had a great girlfriend, I just signed a huge contract. I was so content with my life. I forgot. I lost it. I tore my ACL second game of the season against Jerusalem. Tony Gaffney was on that team, actually. Um, big, uh, no, Big Sofa was on Tel Aviv. But two days before that, my girlfriend broke up with me, and I tore my ACL. I've lost everything. I took it all for granted. You're never finished. Your job is never finished. You're always a student for the game. Work harder at being better every single day. You have a girlfriend, make her fall in love with you every day. Because if you don't do that, she's going to fall in love with someone else, right? Basketball, you need to make basketball fall in love with you every day. Because if you don't, someone's going to beat you. You need to wake up every morning. I even do this with acting. And I, I probably take it to an extreme because I'm so competition hungry and I'm so sports-based. You look at the entertainment industry, there's not a lot of sports people. I'm so competition-based that like it kind of can be oft putting to people. I wake up every single day and I think about all the people who are in my position that want what I want. It is my job to beat each and every single of those people 
every single day. What are they doing? Okay, are they working out and getting in better shape? I need to be in better shape than them because I'm, again, I'm not talented. I need to be the hardest working guy in the gym. So it's up to me to outwork all these people who are going after the target on my back. I don't care if you're in an office, on a court, wherever. You, you, that, that's, that has to be your mantra every single day. And it's interesting. So, okay, I'm an actor now. Basketball and acting, not too different. You come in every day, your producer, that's your GM. Your coach, that's your director. Your teammates, those are your castmates, right? On the court, I was a role player. In a movie, you have a role, right? I'm not a superstar. Superstar on a court, superstar on a call sheet in a movie. If I show up to set and I start acting like a superstar, there's gonna be a lot of head scratching going on. If I show up to practice and I start jacking threes, there's gonna be a lot of head scratching going on, right? So knowing what I do, everyone who's on a court or on stage or on stage with me is there for a reason. When you're at that high of a level, there's really no one there by coincidence or mistake. The people who are there are there because they're really good at what they do and they are brought there for that reason, right? So you don't question that, the higher the level you get, especially. Um, so I'm brought onto this movie to do this specific thing, do my job, that's it. You say yes, Dane, we need you to jump off this building, you're on fire, and convey this message to the audience, whatever. Great, sure, that's my job. Because the second I question it, they're gonna get someone else who would do it who won't question it. That's kind of it. And you know, boiling that down, that's what I told the team last year to like, you know, be about being bought into a system and understanding how things work. And, you know, you're all just a piece of a giant jigsaw puzzle. And as the competition level gets higher, the jigsaw puzzle gets bigger and the pieces get smaller. You're just a smaller piece in this giant puzzle. If you start trying to fit your piece in spots that aren't where you belong, it's gonna get real screwy. Um, more or less, that's kind of what it boils down to. And I wish I knew now, like what I like when I was at UNH, would have been so different. I would have like worked on my threes and stuff, and like tried to improve. You know, I would have listened more if I was just easy to coach. I probably would have played more and been. I mean, I missed the all-time leading rebound record by twenty-four rebounds. Why? Because I got suspended for three games. Why did I get suspended for three games? I had a fake parking pass that I was using during winter break that my SID photocopied. And our and the team athletic trainer stitched on me. I, rem I remember that. And I knew that it was Coughlin. And I, he texted me the other day. I kept my mouth shut about that one. I never said because he was a good dude, man. He was a great guy. I worked with a lot of the SIDs. He's, no, he was did, one of the, the real good snitch? guys. What's that? Why did he snitch? No, the, the no no no. Copeland was our SID. Barbara, I don't I don't remember her last name. That this woman, I'm praying for her wherever she is right now or whatever she's doing. I'm praying for her because I hope I hope things work out. If but if, if she carried her way the if he, she carries herself the way she did and she was at UNH, I don't know where she is right now. But yeah, I parked in the faculty parking lot because I didn't want to trudge through snow in Durham, New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. 
from the main public parking lot. So I parked right. in the faculty parking lot. Why? Because I because our SID photocopied his parking pass for me. Right. No harm, no foul. I'm not in anyone's way. It's winter break. She she saw that and she snitched on me to the AD. And they brought me in the office and boss man was like, yo, we gotta report this. Bro, <laughs> Kentucky's like paying their players 50 grand, 70 grand. It's a park. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> man. <laughs> I'm talking about a parking pass. A parking pass. NCAA forced me to pay the value of that parking pass for, for however long to a charity of my choice. I walked into a, a, like a food shelter and said, here, here's a $100 check. What? Just don't ask. Just accept it, you know? And then I had to, but I need a receipt. I have to prove that I gave it to you. I gave it back, suspended for three games for violating team rules. I'm at the Vermont game and, you know, Evan, um, Evan Field came up and said, bro, what happened? Someone said you were dealing drugs. Dealing drugs? (laughs) I had a parking pass. Jewish kids, man. Boy, you got to watch them guys. Crazy. Selling drugs up in school. But you know what? But like, that would never fly today. That would never fly today. You can't make me pay. Like, yeah. No. And also like, that's the most ridiculous thing to get reported. But anyway, so I was averaging 8.8 rebounds a game. I missed three games. I missed the all-time leading rebound record by 24 rebounds. You do the math. Barbara will forever be ingrained in my brain as the person, you know, oh, but then you shouldn't shut the f- up. It's New Hampshire. Yeah. Live free or die. Okay. <laughs> I parked. I don't want to walk through snow. Sorry. Eric Copeland was my roommate on the road. Our SID was my wow. roommate wow. on the road. Whatever. By the way, UNH, they just made the uh, director of basketball operations position voluntary. Oh, my That's goodness. insane. I, I love you guys, UNH. But if you want to be taken seriously as a Division One program, you can't have a voluntary so, SID. So or, uh, yeah, Dobo. Um, Dobo. Can't I, do it. As an aside, did you hear about the hiring process after they got rid Now, don't get me wrong. Bill had... I would say that the talent that he brought in, I don't think anyone would argue that he got the most out of the talent. Sure. If you look at your class was amazing. You, sure. Alvin Abreu, uh, you know, just that whole cra- class. Uh, Ronnie Chichua, who didn't, yeah. who didn't last, but incredible athlete. Tyrone Conley, incredible yeah. athlete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then the classes after, like they had, uh, they had a team that had this kid, Tyrone. Le- I mean, sorry, uh, Tanner, Tanner Leishner, and Jalen Smith, who J- Jalen Smith. Is a borderline NBA guy. I mean, he's playing in the Euro League. He's right. playing. In, yeah. They had uh, Jacoby Armstrong, who was really like he brought in a lot of talent. Did not get the most out of it. There's no way around that. But if you make the move to not bring him back, he had longevity and job security that that coaches can can only dream of for the most part in the college game to not really win. Right. So I'm not here like you know like Bill got totally ho- like. But if you get rid of him and you replace him with a dude who. Four out of the last five years at Bucknell lost 20 or more games. Ugh. That's your hire. Bucknell, the one school in the Patriot League that really cares about hoops and really supports hoops. Yeah. And you lose 20 or more games four out of your final five seasons there. And that's who UNH brings in as oh, the man. replacement. Like that's the big, the big I was hire. They, they should have brought back Alvin and Tyrone. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Tyrese. Yeah. Uh no. I I don't know the coach. I, you know, I've never talked to the yeah. guy. Um, I, you know, I wish them the best of luck. I, I will support the team always. I'll be more than happy to go up there and talk to the team whenever they want. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I really hope he does a good job. 
I, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. So I don't know, maybe there's something in the New Hampshire air that he breathes in and it mm. helps him, whatever. Um, who knows? But I will say UNH is a very, very, very difficult place to be successful mm. in basketball wise. The facilities are not great. They're, they're doing okay, you know, um, but it's just not structured that way. It's hockey first then football, then yeah. basketball gets a little bit of the trickle down. Um, and you know, it's funny on my official visit, they like took us into the Whittemore center where the <laughs> hockey team plays me and Alvin, they go, eh, this is where the hockey team plays, you know, 3,500 people, whatever that, you know, huge arena. Mm -hmm. We'll get a couple games here a year. Sure. Signed the contract. Uh, by the way, we sold that court like three years ago. <laughs> yeah, they, sold, they, the they sold the floor wow. there. They, uh, 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 Matt Bonner's senior year, they came to play a homecoming game there, and that was the last game they played the wit. And I don't know when they played oh, there before that. I, they, there was a poster on the wall of the locker room of that game, like a wide-angle shot, which I stole. I have it in my Los Angeles apartment now on the wall. People come in, they're like, what's that? I'm like, oh, that's the basketball arena my college team played in, uh, you know, eight years before I got there. <laughs> um, and the, the James Felders came to visit me, and he, like, put up a sign that said, Bain's Promise. Uh. <laughs> oh man but so yeah, wow. no we never played in the but they play in a field house yeah it's, and it's, it's not. Just, I, I will say the odds are stacked against you there and i'll never forget when we lost to uconn we came back they damn near threw a parade for us because yeah. we lost by four we lost <laughs> we lost the game there i i will say yeah, and you guys played really well that we game. did yeah. we that did. was a really good game I, i'm not i'm not gonna get too far into that because i really don't don't mess with the america east much these days at all but i will just say that what i know because people hit me up because people still think i seem to know something about the conference or know people or whatever there were some coaches with real legitimate resumes that reached out to UNH when Bill was not renewed and couldn't even get a call back from the athletic director. Wow. Like Will Brown, who took Albany to five NCAA tournaments, reached out. They mm -hmm. didn't call him back. Some big-time Ivy League assistants. A, a prep coach that is in the area up there that has built like the premier prep program in the nation reached yeah. out to them because sure, sure. he felt like he'd done kind of everything at that level, didn't get a call back. So that's... Uh, uh, you know, I would say the sibling of a longtime NBA player who is involved in NBA at this point, uh, you know, coaching, development, all that sort of stuff, reached out, didn't get a call back. So if you're not even going to kind of kick the tires on some of these people that are, you know, if that one doesn't work out for that athletic director, that's kind of a, a, a big matzo ball right there. Yeah, that, uh, no, I, I don't know. I never, and I don't know this new, you know, I, yeah. I dealt with Marty Scarano. Yeah. Um, during my time at UNH and he, he was he was a he was a perfectly fine um, athletic director I don't know this new athletic director um, again like I said coaching like business at not my jam I don't know how all of that works and their decisions on how to navigate certain teams and the direction of that athletic program is obviously their choice um, and I'm grateful and thankful for my time there and my scholarship that was given to me you know, I, I wish I like made more money and I could donate it to like the athletic department and the basketball team to kind of lift them up because I know they need it. But yeah, it, it's New Hampshire. It's funny, all the games I played in overseas, you know, um, you're at the, you're at like someone shooting free throws and you've got like 
I don't know, Justin Burrell next to you or whoever lining up next to you, you know, the, the Americans always bonded, you know, you know, where are you from, man? Yeah, I'm from Boston. That's cool. Where'd you go to school? I went to UNH. We're division one. <laughs> Where's that? New, New Mexico? No, no, New Hampshire. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're, we're, we're division one. We're in America East. America East. Oh, sorry, sorry. America East. Yeah, I have to remind people that we were division one. And what got even more sad is the last couple of years, I had to say, we're in the same league as UNBC. That team that beat that upset Virginia. Like, oh, that's the team. That's the team that I'm like yep. using as a reference to like, oh, cool, cool. UNBC, UNBC who were like two and like 28. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't know. It's uh, college athletics. I'm not in that business. It's tough. It's super competitive. And it's not it's not a business I want to be yeah. in. Um, but, you know, I, I, I really I do hope I do wish UNH a lot of success. And I, I hope I can go up there and talk to the team and inspire them. Um, you know, so we'll see. You, just, you guys can't have a like a voluntary dobo. No, like who's crazy. who's booking the yeah. hotels? The head coach? Yeah. Yeah. He's calling up the Marriott and using his points. Maybe that's how he got such a big raise. Is they were just like, I'm not going to pay the, pay the over over what Bill was know. making. You know. Uh, was it weird seeing Tyrese Gibbs as an assistant when you went? No, it's great. I, 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 I was like, this is amazing. Keep, keep it, you know, homegrown. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wish, you know, he stayed on. I wish he was still there. Uh, I miss having a connection with yeah. the team now. You know, Ken Dempsey works in the yep. front office, and you know, he's not as as involved with the team anymore. But, um, you know, it'd be nice to go back and see some of my old people, but. I feel yeah. like Alvin Abreu is gonna could be their head coach someday with what he's doing. You know, he's on a great track. What, now, what he's where, doing. Where is he now? At a prep school? Or, no, he's at, at Lynn, uh, Lynn, English. Lynn English. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's turned them into contenders. Yeah, he's you know? he's he's doing a very good job, and he's the, he's a guy. He is basketball. He yeah. he. You know, I was a figure it out guy. He was not. He was a numbers and X's and O's guy, and he just lived for hoops, man. He just like, you know, he went to the prep school like boys to men. Yeah, <laughs> that was like, like Chicago. Yeah, right? they got like yeah. shut down because yeah. they weren't even going to class. It was just like a, a ten month AAU program. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, but yeah, he 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 knows. His I mean, he, he's uh he's always been a leader, and you know Alvin, you know we still text to this day. Uh, I could definitely see him as as a head coach, and I really do hope he becomes a college coach someday. Um, but who knows, right? So how long we haven't even gotten into that because it's just no. this is the conversation. Yeah, we, even, of, we, of, we yeah. barely touched the pros. I but. know. How long into your pro career? Because I followed from afar. You know, I will say uh, this 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 show that me and Bobby have. I've made some apologies to different people that we've had on, like like Q, a coach that I had assistant. I owe you an apology. I never got that video finished for you that has hung over my head. I still think about for that for years. Me too. Um, There's a lot going on in my life divorce other stuff but uh but that is a big big regret of mine is that because that was awesome i love alexander's billy you know over there it's uh clearly you didn't we shot a lot of clips he like he came on an exploring adventure me i took him into for an old school and abandoned bunch of abandoned like buildings and then we 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 i cooked in like behind the sub shop i made this massive uh breakfast sandwich and like the the thing for me because 
So about halfway through my career, I was really hell bent. So the travel thing, I wanted to open up the surfboard rental shops. And then they were like, oh, basketball, you should play. I was like, okay, cool. So I went to go play. I was still hooked on travel. And I wanted, you know, if you're not in the 2% of basketball players that don't have to work after, you got to get a job. Um, and I want, I decided I wanted to host culinary travel television, unscripted culinary travel television. I wanted to be the next Anthony Bourdain. And I was going to LA every summer to pitch these shows, to work these shows. Um, and everything is that you need content, you need a following, you need this, you need that. You have to show us a sizzle reel. You know, I'm from Boston. I don't know. I can't get like a film crew of people. It's hard. It's not, um, it's not easy to make a sizzle reel, you know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, I was so desperately wanted Sam to make this documentary or whatever. I think he made a trailer. I did. I made um, a trailer, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like, it'll highlight my life. It'll show all these interesting things I do. And it just never got finished. And I just so desperately needed, like, content mm. of myself. And it was like, ah, you know, so. Uh, but we did get some cool stuff. I'm sure that footage exists somewhere. Oh, it does. It's, it's, it's somewhere. But that's literally one of the things, like, my anxiety is crazy for a million different reasons. That's plenty of it's different reasons. But that's one of the things that like that like has hung over me for years is man, I never got that done today. And that was yeah. and now if it if it the was now in still life, exists. I churn stuff out all the time. Even watch when I, I get my Marvel movie, that, that footage will be Oh, it will I'll it'll be all over the internet. The yeah. Fernald, everything. I'll be selling it, you know. Yeah. Uh but how long into your this this podcast <laughs> is sponsored by Polar Beverages. <laughs> How how long into your pro career did you start seriously thinking about next steps? I know you talked about like you're smart, you're a smart guy, and you realize that hey, it's like you know one percent of one percent of one percent of one percent are the basketball players that never have to do anything after basketball. How long into did you really start thinking, hey, the end of I'm getting closer to the end than the beginning of my pro career, and I should probably figure it out. It, w it was less. Mm it was less me thinking about I'm getting to the end. Um, I wanted to hit 10 years. How many years did you play? Almost, almost 15. So I wanted to get to 10. 15 is that's, that's, that's tough. Time. That's a long time. I mean, what's the average like six? I have no idea. Five <laughs> or six. Um, I wanted to get to 10. And I was headed, I was going into Israel, I just signed that big contract. I think that what let me say, Ostuni, Sassari, Trieste, Israel, my fourth year. And I was like, you know, so here's the deal. I love basketball. I have always loved basketball. Was it my passion? I don't know. It kind of just like became my passion. The day my dad told me, you don't have to get a job if you don't have to make me pay for school. And it just kind of like was this thing that became a part of me mm -hmm. did i grow up with basketball players posters on my wall no no i wanted to be a wrestler i wanted to be a spy i wanted to be everything else excuse me but but a professional basketball player it, it i never wanted to do that and like i said things change when money's on the line and it, it, it was i love basketball um this is what I tell everyone. Basketball was this girl that I dated for 27 years. We went all around the world. I gave her blood, sweat, and tears. I gave her everything. We had ups. We had downs. We had amazing memories. I gave her so much. But I always knew we were never getting married. 
she was moving away at some point. Every basketball player knows that. You can't. You can't marry her. One day you hang up the jersey and you walk off into the light. That's it. It's over. You can't play forever. Basketball is finite. So it was less me saying like, oh, I'm towards the end of my career and more like this is going to end someday. And I know that. I better start now figuring it out. And I wanted to, I was just really into travel channel, food, culture, unscripted. I wanted to host culinary travel television. And um, I started really shooting a lot of stuff when I went to Israel. Then I tore my ACL, moved back home. And then, I don't know, just, it. and then the next year, that's right. The next year I was in Siena. When I was in Siena, I started working at that butcher shop. Yeah. My brother was visiting with me. My brother, who was traveling the world at the time, came, came to visit me in Siena, which is in Tuscany. And in between Siena and Florence, which is in the region of Tuscany, is, a, is the Chianti region. It's where all Chianti wine, specific wines that are called specific things, can only be called Sangiovese, you know, Cananao, whatever, because they are grapes grown in that specific soil in that specific area. You can't grow, you can't grow Valpolicella in California. You can't because it's grown in Valpolicella, right? So Chianti, which is a very famous wine, the Chianti region. Silence of the lambs. Uh, yes, yes, yes. I ate yeah, his yeah. brains with with Brain, a nice with Chianti. Chianti. Yes, yeah, and yeah. fava beans. Right. Do you know why that is? No. Why? Because there is a manic. There is a um, disease, the medicine for a specific disease you are not supposed to consume with alcohol or fava beans because there's a chemical compound in fava beans right. that messes up your the this medicine. G6 and or something. Yeah, yeah, Hannibal Lecter yeah. said, he, I ate his brains with fava beans and a nice Chianti nice. saying that okay. he was on this medicine and didn't care about it. Amazing deep <laughs> cut. <laughs> That's Amazing. Cool. I like that. Um, so Chianti wine. So my brother said, you know, there's this really famous butcher shop in Chianti run by this guy. He's an eighth generation butcher. We should go visit him. Sure. I never heard of it. Let's go. So we get in my little, you know, tiny Mercedes Benz rental car that they gave to me for the year. We're in the winding hills of Chianti going with all like the cypress trees, you know, type in Italy on Pinterest. That's what you see. And we get up to this butcher shop. And this butcher shop is 250 years old in this hilltop village of 200 people. And we walk in, and there he is, sharpening his knives. He's up on this pedestal. And I'm going to boil this story down for brevity, but he's you, me? He's all Italian. He doesn't speak English. Me? Yeah, you, come here. Come here? Let me see your hands. My hands? Okay. Wow. You have butcher hands. Butcher hands? You're a basketball player? Yeah. When your season's done, you come stay in my house. I'll teach you how to debone cows. And as a payment, because people would do this as like an honor, uh, you work in my steakhouse at nighttime. Yeah, sure. So my season finished, whatever, a few months later. And I stayed in this guy, Dario Cicchini's house. And every morning at seven, you wake up and you go to this butcher shop with Orlando and all the butchers. Excuse me. We're going to edit that out. <laughs> um, and I would debone cows, antique Tuscan butcher style. And I would learn how to make all these ancient Tuscan family recipes, butcher recipes, 
in the off season. I stayed with this guy for like a month and a half and they became my family. And anytime I had a long weekend or off time or an off season, I would go and live and work at the butcher shop. Um, I don't have any family in Italy. So they kind of became my family and Dario became kind of like my uncle. Um, this was 2016. And, and then Dario's chef table episode came out and he blew up like the streaming service that this chef's table is on that shall remain nameless. This shall remain nameless strike. They were like, you need to build more tables for your restaurant. Your restaurant's going to blow up. And they did. They built another story because of this show coming out. And it's like, it's incredible. They're busy year round. And Dario is amazing. He's a judge on MasterChef. He's probably the most famous butcher in the world. I mean, eighth generation, 250 years old butcher shop. It's crazy. Um, and that's where my affinity for food really started. And, you know, Dario knows a lot of people in the food industry. So I don't know. And then, uh, yeah, that was a thing. That was definitely a thing. But every time I would go to Los Angeles in the off season to pitch this show, the meetings went the same. You're not famous enough. You don't have a following. You're stuck between an NBA player and a best-selling chef, but you're neither. We can't, you can't sell you. You can't, if you were Kevin Durant and you want to do a travel show, that's amazing. That would be, I would watch that, Kevin Durant. The idea was for me to go to all these different cities around the world and go to the, the local basketball court and play basketball with locals and then be like, hey, where do you guys eat around here? Oh, my cousin has a whatever. And then you go and you get in the kitchen and food is the glue. You know, no one's watching that show of Dane Delegro. Basketball travels with Dane. No, <laughs> basketball travels. Kevin Durant. I'm watching that. <laughs> so it's funny. It just I didn't have enough big enough following. So that's when social media became important to me. This was 2017. Now, um, I that's when I like changed my Instagram to DD. Yep. Kelly Olinick, who I met in the Celtics locker room in 2014, because they brought me in for a summer. Um, yeah, I'm, well, his his agency helped me get that Instagram. They verified me back before it was like valuable, um, and that's when I really started focusing on social media and getting a following, and like producing content and stuff. And that's where Adventure Monday came from, which started on Snapchat. Then it went to Instagram Stories. Then I bought an expensive camera and brought it to YouTube. I did eight episodes my final year playing in Forli, Italy. Uh, and I was really producing content, good stuff. I mean, it's Italy shoots itself. You go around, get lost on Monday. Mm. We were sponsored by Land Rover. So I had this like discovery. Nice. I would beat the <laughs> out of it and I would just film everything and go find a restaurant, talk to the chefs inside the restaurant and get lost and get lost. And it was like, it was amazing. It took me nine hours to edit a 10 minute video. Yeah. I mean, one, people don't realize how long these, how much it's editing crazy. takes. Two, I literally, no lie, watched every episode you were putting it out. And they I were felt so guilty every single time That's all right. about I didn't get that video done. But they were really fun to watch. They really yeah. were. I mean, my storytelling got tighter, like as I went with each one. And I would like, it was, Bobby, I was such an, I would be like driving these like cliffside Italian streets in my car while flying a drone next to my car, filming the car. So I'm steering a drone and I'm driving my car with my knee. Yeah. Crazy. It was, but it was like, it was incredible really. Um, 
And I still, you know, it's like interesting. You create content like those live forever. Yeah. Those are, you know, those are there. Um, what's funny now is now that I've been in some productions, I've like had meetings where they're like, oh, yeah, we'd love to have you on our show because you've done yeah. like full circle. You know, I went a different route. It's like now I do have a following. I do. And, and people are like, oh, yeah, you, you could definitely host. Yeah. Oh, really? That's all it takes. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then, yeah. And then my final year playing, I really wanted to go to Tokyo. I, I wanted to play in Japan. And I hired an, a Japanese agent. She was, a, she was actually Italian, but she, her market was Japan. This woman named Deborah. And she strung me along. I flew out to LA for this like Japan tryout. I was really close with like Shibuya and I think Osaka. And then like, and then she went on vacation and I had turned down some Italian teams for my Italian agent. And I'm like, Deborah, what's, please don't talk to me. I'm on vacation. Vacation. I haven't signed yet. What is going on? Mm. That ended that, that ended that really fast. I didn't sign until February of that year. And I ended up signing back to the team that I was with the year before. Um, but I got to tell you, nine months at home with my parents as a 30 year old was, was trying for me. Um, I worked with Stevie Haley. Yep. Uh, BC, Worcester Academy. I mean, five days a week. I'd wake up, I'd go to Mike Boyle in the morning, and then I would train with Stevie at Boston College, at BU, at Harvard. I mean, I, I put up shots in every gym every day. I, I like I had never my my like I thought I separated my um labrum in my like I tore my labrum in my, in my shoulder. I was shooting so much by the end of it. And my my PT guy was like, just stop shooting for a week, you'll feel better. And that's exactly what happened. But I was I was working so hard. And then in February, February I finally signed. Um yeah, and then that like that took a lot out of me, I would say. Um dealing with the stress every day of like, am I going to sign? What's going on? Um, you know, I was in great shape. And like, when I came back, it was like every team that didn't sign me, like I made, it was, they were BU to me. <laughs> um, and I played really well. Um, but yeah, that was like, that was year eight, 2019. And I was just that summer training for the next season. Yeah. Should I go into the next stage? Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask if you how you made that decision, how you came to that decision to move on. It found from, me from basketball. So how that happened, and did you know when you were playing your last game that it was your no. last game? Nope. I was training for the next basketball season. Mm -hmm. This is summer of 2019. Oh, I mean, it was COVID after that, though, right? Yeah, but we didn't know. We didn't know at the time because March 2020 is when COVID started. Right. I was just training for the next basketball season. I think I averaged like 12 and eight that past year. Decent numbers, good enough numbers. So with a passport, that's enough to get you another. Sure. Yeah. Um, Even without a passport, playing at that level as an American, that's enough to get you another. Yeah. And a few years before, I, I answered a newspaper ad I saw put out by Boston Casting for Slenderman, um, as well as another one for like X-Men, this X-Men movie they were shooting. And I got a phone call from Boston Casting in 2019, and they said, we're shooting this movie with Ryan Reynolds, 
We need you as a stand-in. You're the tallest guy we know on our list. We need you as a stand-in. Can you come down to Weymouth to this movie set and be a stand-in? I said, sure. And I hung up the phone. I Googled the as a stand-in. <laughs> Do you know what a stand-in is? No, I don't. Yeah. It's, like, it's so funny how, like, how... You know what a stand-in is, but oh, you do. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like Boston, just like entertainment stuff is just not in the ethos, like on stage, you know, on set things. A stand-in is like because the main actors shan't stand there yep. while they're setting up lights and cameras. Someone similar to them in height and like skin complexion stands there while they set up the lights and the camera. Because in between these scenes, the main actors go back to their seats and rest. Who are you standing in for? You're six eight. There was a there in this movie. There was a a, a massive man who was my height. Uh, it was, like was Colossus a, or something. Yeah, he was he was a he was a two version of this character. Oh. And um, um, so I googled what a stand in was, and I went down a set, and they never used me. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a stand in, you're not an extra. You're right there on set in the action really close to the main actors and the producers. And I remember standing there at Video Village and I just started talking to like the stunt coordinator and the producers and like, they were like, you should look into acting. You've got a great look. You know, yes, you're tall, but you're like proportionate, you know, Um, you should look into this. Okay. So it was coincidentally next week I was going to LA to, to do my food show pitch, my annual food show pitch in Los Angeles. And when I was out there, I ended up meeting with some producers and like um, special effects people. <clears throat> and I ended up booking a show for a major streaming network that shot in Korea. And like, with, this is like within a week of like the idea of acting going across my brain. And you know, I talked to my brother on the phone. I'm like, yeah, what if I just like went to LA for, you know, September, October, two months just to try this out and see this new thing, you know, just, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, just you can always come back to basketball. Great. So I ended up booking that show that shot in Korea and it was August 9th, 2019. I moved to Los Angeles and I got this temporary apartment tiny old apartment in West Hollywood. I'm only going to be there for two months. Go to Korea. I'm only supposed to be in Korea for a week. Me and this other guy were supposed to share this role on this show, this Korean dude. And I was kind of like the stunt double. He couldn't handle the costume. And he didn't even make it to like the first, like the, the show and tell, you know, you put on the costume and you go in front of the director but for the first time, the director mm-hmm. sees you in costume for the first time. And they go, oh, this is great. Can you fix this? He, he passed out. He couldn't even handle the show and tell. And I was like, oh, I'll do it. Because like, the costume was too hot? Or? Yeah, it was a full makeup, prosthetic okay. makeup. And it was an 80-pound foam latex costume. It was like this mutated bodybuilder. And this dude, I, I'm, I can see the image. of He was on his back in the makeup room smoking a cigarette. He couldn't handle it. He just couldn't handle it. It was too much for him. And okay, I'll do it. So they put me in the costume and then- now, How long did it take for him to put you in the costume? Uh, this wasn't that bad. This was just like one gluing one thing on my face and then painting over. So it was about an hour. Um, 
I mean, other other things I've done have been up to like six hours, mm -hmm. but this wasn't that bad. The, mostly just a suit. Um, and then I, you know, so I was only supposed to be there for a week. I ended up being there for like a month and a half. I ended up doing all of it. And I get back. I was like, oh, this is cool. And they're like, yeah, you're really good at this. I was like, great. And I remember my, my agent at the time was like, okay, you're like, if you're going to do this full time, you need to move here and we got to get you in like some classes and, you know, whatever. So in my off time, I was like, oh, I need to figure out like a job, you know? So I was, I was, I became, a, I auditioned and became part of the Waterworld stunt show at Universal Studios. Okay. And we were, I auditioned with 200 people. They brought in whatever, like six of us. And I got in and we were training and then I'll never forget. They were like, oh, we're shutting down Universal for two weeks. <laughs> and that was in March of 2020. Right. And you know the rest. Um, four years later, I still live in that same apartment. <laughs> and yeah, I, I've never done a live show at Universal Studios. Has the rent show. gone up in the four years? No, rent controlled. Wow. Amazing. Oh, my goodness. It's amazing. And awesome. it's still overpriced. It's still, still overpriced. overpriced. Huh? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's crazy. I don't, I'm not trying to get tangential but when you say march 2020 you know i think back and when that happened and everything i was teaching you know i was at a school i really loved it i felt appreciated by the administration the first school i ever taught at that i really loved my direct bosses and um and everything shut down and i just remember the streets being empty nobody being everything being shut right. down but there was this feeling like hey we're all in this together for a little bit right and then that kind of went away and then just sheer panic for me my son was three at the time. My oldest, Jack, my youngest, Avi, was not born. He's only two now. So, um, but it was like just fear, panic every day, not really knowing what COVID was about, feeling like, oh my God, like my son is three. This was his first year of, of, of preschool and then it shut down. And now he's a nervous wreck because it just interruption to his new routine. And like, I'm not helping him develop. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm teaching remote classes and he's trying to kill me in the middle of them. And and then we just started going to Union Station in Worcester every uh. single day because he loved trains. And we just watched the freight trains go by and the commuter rails. Even before they were open, they were running them back and forth just to kind of keep the engines going, sure, I guess. Sure, sure, And like it was some normalcy for both of us and it became our thing. Yeah. And one, I just you gave me this flashback of where I was in life then and what was going on. And so much has changed uh, since then. But like of just remembering finding some sense of normalcy and being there with my, with my son. Um, but that was, to me, that was, it, it was like a flashback yeah. to that. Um, but, but two for you, like, it made me think like now today, do you have to do other work on the side? Or are you able to just strictly be an actor? I no. by the way, LA was great. The biking, the cycling was amazing. There's no traffic. You could get anywhere in like 10 minutes. It was, I miss COVID traffic. That was the best. Um, no, I, I made the promise to myself. So the Waterworld stunt show. So my first ever job in Los Angeles, I worked at Halloween Horror Nights as a scare actor. That was the first thing I did. I did that because, I don't know, I love scaring people and I just thought it'd be a fun thing to do. I wouldn't do it for money. The stunt show was the thing I wanted to learn stage present. Like it, that's a, 
a stunt show at Universal Studios, the Waterworld show, is it is a one 15 minute long take nonstop of a show. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever been on stage. How many shows a day? Four, five. Four. And it's it's crazy. You have to know the cadence of the show. You have to know the lines. It's a stunt show. There's fire. There's live firearms. There are jet skis. There's a jet boat that I have to drive. I have to shoot a shotgun. Um, <laughs> I have to hang a person upside down and drop them into this tank. Um, I have to dive over a water skier into this like lagoon. And I have to like miss his head by mere inches. There's a huge fight with like a mallet. I have to know where every person is on the stage at all mm-hmm. time. If someone falls, if something happens, there's an alternate sequence. It was just, I didn't want to do it. That's why I wanted to do it. Cause I knew it'd be, a, it was, I was uncomfortable and it was like, it was a major learning experience. I was learning stunts. I was learning acting. I was learning stage presence. Um, it was an unbelievable experience. Also like free universal studios, cut the lines whenever you want. Amazing. I'm a universal studios head, you know? So, but no, to answer your question, no, I made the promise to myself. If it gets to the point where I have to work another job, I should probably find something else to do. Right. I have a nice basketball sized cushion from all my basketball money supporting me. Fortunately, when I moved to LA, I took 30,000 out and I gave that to myself as a present. And the rest of my basketball money, which I haven't touched, I pretend like I don't have it. It's all invested. Um, and I said, I'm not like if I turn this 30,000 into a million and then go from there. Um, and I, I haven't had to dip in yet, more or less. We came close to liquidating everything in April of 2020, but um, no. But no, I, I, I'm an actor through and through. I feel like it's a Northeast thing, single track mind. You go to LA, you, find, you see a lot of like real estate, you know, real estate actors, yeah. um, crypto traders, <laughs> entrepreneurs, people doing all like different things. Yeah, they, they own a, a, a hamburger shop and they're a real mm-hmm. estate agent and they trade crypto and, you know, they're promoting right. parties. I, 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 I don't, I, I do one thing and I specialize in that. I'm not like a, an entrepreneur, jack of all trades, do all this different shit. I just want to focus on acting. Um, and I've been fortunate in my career. I've booked enough roles where I can do that. Um, so yeah, I you know I I can't can't be like a barista or work yeah. in a restaurant. I mean, I, I will say, so it's a surprise for anyone like America East Conference or any college basketball conference to become like a legit actor where you are. I mean, you were profiled in a in a bunch of legit publications after you know oh, yeah. the, the 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 big one that will remain sure, nameless sure, right sure. now. I think I saw New Yorker Entertainment, like you know New York like, Times, oh, New York Times. That's what it was. New York Times, L.A. Times, yeah, Boston it, Globe, yeah. Entertainment oh, Weekly, oh, Variety. Oh, yeah, the whole uh, run. All of Men's them. health. I, yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's amazing. Number one, you can so, say it. Yeah, so, you, you can say it. I so just can't. After it. prey, after starring in prey as sure. the predator, which amazing. Uh, you know, if if uh, some sort of uh, game out in you know the 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 cosmos of the universe were to happen, you know, you'd be a, at a size disadvantage to the original predator. 
but I, I think you had a better overall game, I would say. You guys were both college basketball players. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, rest in peace to to, to um, Kevin Peter Hall. Yeah, Kevin Peter Hall. Yeah, the legend. Uh, but so it's a sh- where it was I'm going. also Harry and Harry in the Hendersons. That's that's very really? true. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Played play at George foot Washington. Two. Yes. Seven foot two Seven ballet two. trained actor. Okay, he he was like a move. Um, yes, and and I think at this point now everybody realizes it that's seen it, but it was for a long time. He he appears outside of the Predator makeup in the end of the first Predator movie as a helicopter pilot, all hunched over, flying at, sure. at Huey. Yeah, but. Uh, what what I'm getting at is one, it would be a shock for any basketball college player to become like a legitimate Hollywood actor. But if you were to tell me back then, there's one guy in this America East conference that is going to wind up being a legitimate like like an actor, I'd probably say it was Dane Delegro back then. I really? I, I really do. I think you you had that um from day one, your freshman year, like just that presence in interviews and stuff that like you didn't really see. But not just like poise, but like you were just like a character out there, like larger than life, even in America East. Interesting. It's funny because they were handing out a lot of Oscars to all the players who would flop off of me <laughs> and try to draw fouls. A lot of actors in the I'm, American I'm East. I'm not sure if they were flops. Yeah. You, were, you were good on going through people. Oh, man. I'm going through Who was the dude? Tommy Brenton. Tommy. Oh, my, oh my God. Tommy Brenton. I, I love Tommy Brenton. If I, if I ever saw him again, you know, we'd have a great conversation. But my God. <laughs> who was the dude at BU? Like Vilnius or yeah, something yeah, yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, uh, Val, Valdis Sarutis. Valdis Sarutis. That dude pro- drew more fouls off of me. <laughs> wow, it was incredible. Um, yeah, a lot of acting, and I would, I'd always, I'd always bend down and hand the Oscar to them. You know? um, dude, I disagree. I told, dude, you led with the shoulder. Yeah, I, yeah. Just, it's a man's game. Me? It's a. I would, I would have fared well in Serbia, but uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a man. Wait, what, Valdesuris? That's so yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, it's funny too, like when things really started picking up for me in that aspect. Like the, the amount of people that just reached out mm-hmm. um, and like, you really get a sense for how worldwide these productions reach, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was really cool just to hear from everyone, all my Italian people, my international people, and just people from my childhood. And, you know, you, I mean, I've played against so many guys and every year, you know, it's funny, like your four years of college, you know, every person on every team, yep. I, I can maybe recall less than half of those guys now. Oh, that's right. He was on that, yep. you know, um, it, you know, just it, it was a really cool callback to be able to connect with these people again. Um, uh, I think I, I kept in good touch with Evan Field after. Uh, I think he was like kind of visit. He played in Malta for a while, but um, yeah, I don't know. It, 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 it's weird. It really is weird. Like you're doing a variety interview, and you know, for the you know the premiere of this movie, I brought my mom with me, and it was just like it's just weird, you know. I, I, I got I got one thing that I had to bring up at some point. I got to ask about your mom because she's she's. Great lady, your dad Frank is too. I miss I miss interacting with him back sure. back in the day. But there was a while where you would give your mom so much grief on Instagram. I was always laughing at the stories that you would post. You had do. one. I saw one the, like today of you, you, but like I hadn't seen them in a while. I've seen a lot of your other yeah. stories, but like, did she like is she in on the joke or, or no. did she? <laughs> that was during the, a lot of that was during the nine month stretch I was at home yeah. when I was trying to get a, a Japan job, um, but just like it was 
And it was funny, like, I was like, I should turn this into a show, just me getting on my mom's nerves. <laughs> I don't know. She's like a neurotic Jewish mom. She's the best. But like, you know, you cook on the ceramic countertop, the stovetop, there's one speck of oil. And she would always freak out like, look, you didn't wipe, you didn't wipe the countertop. And I would always have my phone out. Like, what's the problem? If you watch, <laughs> if you watch my, my, like, my mom's yeah. highlight on Instagram, half the time, what's the problem? What's the problem? Like, you didn't wipe the, and then she looked at you. She noticed <laughs> that I'm filming her. Um, but yeah, she's like, people love, people love Cheryl. She's an institution. She's the, she's a very big staple in my Instagram. I don't, I don't like mess with her as much now. Um, but yeah, she's, she's the best. What what did your your parents make of when you were like I think I'm gonna give being an actor What was their response originally, and then what was their response when you finally started making it? Sure, yeah. I mean, it, it it's interesting. It kind of dials back to my childhood. Just always supportive of me. Um, there was never pushback. In fact, when the pandemic was going on, um, you know, because when I was in Korea shooting this show, I had a couple offers from Italy come in. Because I hadn't really, I mean, I told my agent, hey, I'm going, to, I'm going to shoot this show and blah, blah, blah. And while I was in Korea, I got an offer to play in Pesaro, Italy. And when I came back, the pandemic happened. And I'm at home. I'm like, God, what should I do? If, I don't know if you guys remember, but Italy got absolutely mm -hmm. destroyed. Yep, I do remember that. Like people were just dying in Italy. Um, and I was on the phone with my dad. And he said, look, move to L.A. to be an actor. Just go be an actor. Go do it. Don't be anything else. Just go. I was like, okay. So that, that was like the deciding factor for me to, to stay in. That's when I was like, became retired, essentially, um, through him. And they love it now. They love it. They love it. Why? Every single restaurant we go into, every line we're waiting in, everywhere we go my dad's background on his phone is one of my movie posters my mom's background on her phone is me and her on the red carpet my sister has two kids my brother just had a child my dad is an alien a guy in an alien costume <laughs> as the background of his phone you know remember you see grandparents look at my grandson my granddaughter look how cute no they have this thing you know Everywhere we go, whether it's a waitress or the person scanning our groceries, they let everyone know who their son is. And it like, um, it, I'm writing a show about it right now, but like, it's just like, oh my God, you guys got to stop. This is so out of context. But they're just, everyone said they're so proud. I was down in Cape Cod at our, our Cape Cod house and it's on a golf resort. Every single guy that my dad plays golf with goes, oh, here he is. I've heard, I never met this guy before. <laughs> there he is, the big actor. Hey, how's it going, man? I heard so much about you. Look at you. You're a big movie star. Your dad's <laughs> always bragging about you. What are you doing over here, movie star? How come you're not in, uh, in Los Angeles there? You know, and I'm like, oh, God, dad, what are you telling these people? And how often are you telling <laughs> That's them? So cool. That's a great story. really. Uh, it really is, man. You know, to, to be able to have that kind of an impact on your on your parents, that's and that's really, you know, that's 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 really that's really. Awesome. But I'm like, Dad, I'm not a party favor, and the, like, these people didn't ask you to tell them. You can't just walk into a restaurant. Like, you know, who my son is. I, first of all, I'm not famous. I'm not a famous actor. I'm not like 
Have you have you heard of this this movie franchise? No, Dad, they haven't. Stop talking. I'm right here. I'm right here. Have you seen Prey? Yeah. So, you know, may, maybe if I'm not around, okay. But like, Dad, I'm standing next to you, man. Come on. I get it. He's proud of me. I would probably do the same thing about my son. But you know, like I said, it's Boston. There's not a lot of like, yeah, actors and actresses in our ethos you know you, you go to la everyone knows yep. 10 mm-hmm. actors and mm-hmm. actresses mm-hmm. you know you, you got your your uncle from tooksbury holy <laughs> danes a movie star now holy <laughs> look at this guy yeah <laughs> loser what are you like friends with uh, brad pitt out there you gonna go to the oscar no what, what? Uh, like the, there's like the grasp of of the entertainment industry is so loose here in Boston. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's fascinating to me. And it's funny too, because in LA, you know, with the strike going on right now, the talks, the conversations that you have with people are at like stage four, you know, where are we now in the strike? Mm-hmm. Since I've been home, you know, I'm home for two weeks visiting. I've had like stage one conversation, like 50 times with people. Oh yeah. Like, and you know, and for here, it's like, you know, in LA, it's it's a barren wasteland. There's no one there. Everyone is yeah. in Europe. Everyone is away. There's nothing. The town is dead. There's mm-hmm. no one there right now. Um, you know, it's like a ghost town. Life is normal here, Boston. There's nothing going on. You know, we're having a what I like to call the pandemic yeah. with the writers. In, yeah. in, you know, it's a, it's a second you know pandemic in L.A. Here, no one even. Oh yeah, you guys are on strike, aren't you? Oh wow, that that's crazy. Are you a writer? No, I'm 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 in I'm in SAG. What the hell is SAG? <laughs> Screen actor. Oh man, okay. Why are you guys striking? You guys make a lot of money, don't you? Uh, yes, but you know, so it, it's it's interesting. Like, it's like, hey, is that when, when is that going to start interrupting my favorite shows? Yeah, people <laughs> people don't realize, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting and it's scary too because the things that are at stake in terms of the strike are you know, monumental and they will pave the way for a long time. Right. And I think that's why they're not even negotiating. I, I, I mean, right it's to me, it's so crazy because I mean, I'm a little bit older than you, but like the fact now that it's literally like on the table is, are they going to just in perpetuity be able to use AI to use people's likenesses and, and, or even write scripts or, and not, and it's just costing legit human beings, creative jobs. It's, you, you couldn't, I mean, imagine it outside of like a sci-fi film being written back when I was in high school, but like it really, there is, I think so much at stake that people don't, I don't come close to fully grasping it, but I at least understand like right now, one, people are just losing money because of the way streaming works, the way that residuals work or don't work, but like also in the future of literally like the potential, my understanding is like to people like your look six, eight, you know, uh, and, and just like, have cgi you into all sorts of movies right. in the background or whatever and and you don't see a dime from that it's in, in my limited knowledge of this there's <clears throat> there's two major factors for me at least uh number one is the ai situation mm-hmm. for me it's not a matter of if but when right ai if you let it can run rampant and don't get me wrong i've typed some <laughs> to these ai things for screenplays they're not bad they're not bad. Granted, AI doesn't have childhood trauma, yep. isn't capable of like conveying emotion essentially, but like laying out a screenplay and then using someone to like consult over that, like I, you know, that's could happen. 
AI is scary. Um, and I, I submit that in a few years, you will see likeness agencies popping up. So if someone wants to use your likeness, your voice, your face or whatever, talk to my likeness agent. And then that you will get paid however they use you for whatever. Okay. And then in terms of the writers writing scripts, blah, blah, blah. The big factor, at least for this, why SAG is striking, in my tiny opinion, is a big factor is these streaming companies, right? So, okay. <clears throat> what What is Amazon? What's Amazon to you guys? When you think of Amazon on a, on a, on a macro broad lens, what is it? I mean, it's either where I get stuff quick that may or may not pan okay. out so for good. A, a retail company. Yeah, or, retail. or streaming. Okay, what, me, what is me. Google? Search engine. Yeah, search, yeah. Right. Okay, Apple? The tech. Technology. Tech yeah. Okay, Netflix? Streaming. Streaming, yep. right. Yes, you're correct. But you know what all these companies are? Analytics. Information, right? Like Apple TV? Mm -hmm. Amazon Prime, Netflix, Paramount Plus, whatever. They are tracking age, gender, what you're watching, when you're watching it, how long you're watching it for, how many times you're watching it, where you are when you're watching it. That is all very, very valuable information. Okay. You, you're getting an age demographic that is watching specific things in specific places. That information is very valuable. If I want to open up a store, I can buy that information and it will help me pinpoint where the best place to open up my business is or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, you got to ask yourself, Netflix, okay. Uh, Extraction 2 that just came out on Netflix, probably a $150 million that movie. Ryan Reynolds? Uh, no, that was uh, Chris Thor, Hemsworth. Yeah. Okay, Hemsworth. $150 million movie. Now you ask yourself, why would Netflix put $150 million into this movie? There's no ticket sales. Why? Like, where's the payoff, right? Well, you say subscription rate, but you can't, there's no metric there. Cause mm -hmm. maybe, maybe people do subscribe because this movie came out, but you don't know that other people can subscribe during that right. time. Yeah. You, there, there's no, there's no metric of like, they subscribed because of this, because of that. Now, what you've never seen is one of these streaming companies release their viewership or subscribership. Why? Because it's a card game. They don't want any other of these information analytics companies to know their numbers. Let's take that even further. Residuals, which is a major, which is maybe the paramount factor here. Now, how many seasons before residuals? Is it six? Uh, one. Oh, it's just one. One, yeah. I was in a I was in a show on Hulu, a very popular show, um, and yeah. After I was in two episodes, and a year later, I got my residuals check. Okay. Um, but that was also on a major network. That's why I mm -hmm. got a check. <laughs> if you are so, I'm gonna. I could be wrong, a little bit with this. 15 years ago, when Netflix was a DVD rental company, 20 years ago, they were like, oh, let's start a studio. So they made a deal at SAG-AFTRA. They said, well, we're a little DVD company. We have a tiny little studio. We shouldn't have to pay residuals because we're a little Netflix. So they created this thing called New Media. New Media is streaming, mm -hmm. right? Disney Plus, Paramount Plus, all of that. 
SAG, I, from what I'm aware of, I think they agreed to do, you don't have to pay residuals on new media. Okay, well, now Netflix is Netflix. Yep, everything's being made for new media. And everyone else has this kind of Netflix clause in their contracts that if it's new media, you don't have to pay residuals. So if you star in a $150 million movie, let's say Netflix Netflix gains 2.5 million subscribers when this movie comes mm-hmm. out. So what is it, $40 a year for Netflix, something like that, $70 a year? Multiply that by 2.5 million. It's probably more than that. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. You're not seeing a cent of that. Mm. That's not cool. Right. Um, the issue here is in order to give out residuals, you have to release your viewership numbers. Residuals are based on the box office. How many people went to go see this movie? That's how you calculate the metric of residuals mm-hmm. or DVD sales or whatever. They don't have to release those numbers. So you are you have an immovable force meeting an unstoppable object right now. The actors want re- residuals on this these streaming platforms, but it's not that it's not that the streaming platforms won't give them residuals. It's just they're not going to release their numbers. So this new movie with uh, Chris Elmsworth. Extraction. Extraction. Sure. Okay. So did that hit the theaters or no? No, straight to Netflix. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's oh, the big thing. So much wow. is being made straight to, or even if it's going into the theaters, the theater, uh, you know, the streaming services are really, I mean, movie theaters are kind of on life support. And that makes me sad because I used to love going. Yes, I mean, there are some movies that are doing yeah. well. I mean, I was in a, I was in another, you know, major Disney movie, Marvel movie that came yeah. out this year that did really well. Um, you know, that still exists, but like you, you kind of wonder, like, why would Netflix put 150 M's into this movie? It's not even in theaters, yeah. and there's literally no payback because they're not there's no advertisements during your right. these Netflix things. So you're like, how is Netflix making money back on a 150 million dollar investment? Whereas you could go to the theaters and you know, Barbie just hit a billion dollars, right? So there's a there's a metric there. Yeah. Netflix, there's no there's no metric. Um, and I, I'm not saying that, that, that movies can't do well there, but it's like even the ones that are going to theaters and are doing well, they're still losing s- probably some of what they would make before, you know, streaming services were a thing because people are waiting. I, I mean, it yeah. happens to me all the time where it's like, ah, you know, I'll wait till that comes out. Or like, right. I, I really love the movie experience, but it's expensive. You know, you would popcorn and seats and everything. And I thought Barbenheimer know. was great. Yeah. I thought that whole standoff, the battle between yeah. black and pink and mm-hmm. like the whole buzz around that. I thought like that they're like, this is great. Movie theaters are like are booming right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I you couldn't for the first like week and a half of that movie, you couldn't get into a movie theater to see Oppenheimer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I go see movies alone. I, I had to go to the so this is interesting. IMAX true IMAX is 70 millimeter. There's only like 12 true IMAX screens across the country and Universal Studios has one and I booked the only seat the only single seat available in this theater like on the day it came out was in the second row in the middle oh, man 
it was like, it took me five minutes to get one side of the of the screen to the. I have to watch it again because I only could see what was going on <laughs> yeah. one side of the screen. It was massive. It was amazing. But the buzz, like the lines down the street, for all for both of these films that were so, like, like the context was just so different. Yeah, Barbie and like the Manhattan Project. Yeah. you know, it's like death and dolls, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is fucking great. I thought mm-hmm. it was great. Um, but yeah, I you know it, it's the, the the whole new media thing is interesting, um, and you these these things that they're discussing now, especially with AI, because you, you there are no guidelines for AI right now, so they're laying the groundwork for the future of AI. That's a big deal, and the studios don't want to give anything up because if they give away things now, they might not ever get them back. Same thing with the viewership. So, you know. I think we are a hundred days into the writer's strike. I think maybe we're about 30 days into the actor's strike. You know, I'm hoping December. I'm hoping. I, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know if it's going to end then. I, I don't even think they're negotiating right now. They, they like, they met up on Friday and they were like, do we have anything to talk about? No. Okay. And the studios don't care. You know, Amazon, you think Jeff Bezos cares that Fran Drescher's mad at him? Well, he sold Amazon, <laughs> didn't he? Uh, I mean, he. Yeah, I think he's no. I, I don't know. I'm a little confused. He's no longer the CEO. I right. think he still makes a ton of money off. Oh, of course. It, yeah. Yeah. Do you think Ted Sarandos, the yeah. the guy who's running right. Netflix, right. cares? Yeah. No, he's doing just fine. Mm-hmm. And they have they make all this money. You know, they're gonna wait. They, they there was like the executive his like thing leaked. He was like, I don't, we're gonna wait till like everyone's Some people are like up. losing their houses. Yeah. And stuff. it's awful. Uh, it's terrible. Wow. Um, and what's really crazy, SAG actors. I think there's like there's you know 150 thousand SAG members. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how many are active. Maybe let's say 50 thousand are active members. Something like 80 percent of these actors don't even make the SAG health money which is twenty six thousand dollars you have to make twenty six thousand dollars a year through sag to make the health insurance eighty percent about eighty percent of these actors aren't even making that so you talk about like getting another job and you know this and that living in la is not cheap it's expensive um i mean i spent over i spend over twenty six thousand dollars in rent just here that's crazy and these studios are like oh let them rot that's well, tough. Par for the course, though. It, I mean, that's, it, I was, that's our country. Man, I mean, it is really people. People don't realize about because they think go oh, Hollywood whenever that literally that the, the average actor is really struggling and grinding. And yeah. this is really threatening people's not just livelihoods but lives. Mm-hmm. You lose housing. You can't put food on. The, like that's that's your life. I mean, I feel bad. I had these questions I wanted to ask you about about movies and stuff. And and yeah. but, but it's like uh, not about even your movies. Like. Um, but it just seems like the 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 levity of of asking about it is in the face of what's really going on. You know, when you were talking about going to movies alone, it's like that's something that I have loved to do in the past. And I was going to ask you for your your favorite area movie theaters in the area, but now it's like that's such a oh here thing. yeah like in Boston like, yeah because you grew up here. Where do you have any long time favorite? I mean, the, the, literally the little theater in Lexington. Yeah, Lexington. Yeah. It's I don't. It's not called yeah. the Flick anymore. Yeah. Um, I saw Kill Bill two there once. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've always loved movies. For me, it was rentals that were a big deal for me. Um, 
I only really started going to movies alone when I moved to Los Angeles and really got into it. And now, you know, I watch a lot of horror. When things come out, I will go and just get inspired. Um, Sometimes when I go see movies by myself, movies that I really like, I would love to be in, it kind of stresses me out a little bit. And I'm like, I got to work harder. Yeah, what do I do to get in yeah, there? What, yeah, you know, what, what do I, you know, I, I, why, why didn't I see an audition for this? Or yeah. what do I have to do? You know, I'm, you know, I'm texting my manager after, yeah, you know, we got to get in touch with James Cameron. I don't know. I'm not going to know James Cameron. I don't care. I want to be in the next, you know, whatever. And it's like, there's really nothing like being on set. It's such a special thing. You know, it's like, like I said, being on basketball court, you're just surrounded by these super, super talented people coming together. It's it's a big, giant jigsaw puzzle, and everyone's there for a reason, and everyone is an intricate piece, and you watch it just come together, this one common goal to make a great picture, and you're watching these people who studied for years in our artists, lighting, electrics, grips, mm-hmm. um, um, stunts, camera operators i mean you, you like some you, you'll be on a you'll be on a you'll be on a, a project and you can have three camera operators each of those camera operators have assistants each of those cameras have focus pullers so you know like you, know, you have a camera and you can turn the thing to adjust the focus right focus pullers have their own monitor and they're sitting there and they have a little dial that they pull so if i move forward or backward they have to be able to follow me and keep the focus mm-hmm. on me mm-hmm. because a lot of movie cameras don't zoom. You have right. a you have a you know an eighty five macro or one thirty five whatever, and the focus changes, and like it, it is it's crazy how many people are involved in making a film, and how slow it is. I mean, you so like let's say we're in a movie right now, and we're shooting. So for me, all my what's called coverage. Okay, you have to have. All 200 crew members behind you, Sam, right? One, two, three cameras, okay? Lighting, perfect for me, because it's over, it's OTS, it's over the shoulder for you. And when we shoot all your stuff, all this camera equipment, all this lighting, all these grips and electric has to move. Now to my side on a big giant soundstage. Now we're just sitting, imagine a fight scene. Right, and you have to shoot it from three different angles, and there's a million things going on, and there's fire, and there's stunts, and there's cars. So John Wick must have been crazy, impossible to make. My crazy, gosh, unbelievable. Wow. The amount of th- those like stunt movies, yeah. you know, the Mission Impossible yeah. movies, Jason Bourne, John. It's insane what goes into those. And you know, my friends worked on the John Wick movies, and like, the, the, just like the angles that they're getting, and like how clever. You know, there's and okay. On top of that, now you have to deal with producers and money and time, and I don't know. You're in Bulgaria and something's not working. The sun it starts raining. The sun is not out. You have 15 minutes until golden hour. Golden hour is when that sun is just at the perfect right light, and you have 15 and it's gone. You have an actor who's unruly. There are so many factors that that go that come in and like so many things that can go wrong. Uh, a generator goes out, a forklift stops working, whatever, you know, you're setting up for a stunt. If you have someone on wires, there's like a lot of science that goes into the wires because you have someone 
pulling them. Mm. Or maybe you have a, a hydraulically driven ratchet that launches mm. them in the air. But you have to test that with a sandbag before. You have like you have to have them in a jerk vest. You have to like someone someone is doing the science for all of that. Right. The timing has to be right. Someone gets hit by a car. Maybe you, you know glass. Anytime glass breaks, that's a reset of whatever thirty minutes. Mm. Maybe you only have three panes of glass. You can only get three tries at it. It's crazy, and you're watching all of this. Have you have you had a chance to? meet any actors who have just who have just said you know what i appreciate the work you did yeah Anything oh sure yeah. absolutely a hundred percent and in like it's it those are the people i want to work with mm -hmm. um not drop out oh, yeah. back um is that my is that my light that i'm talking too much no 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 that was i bumped something um it, like similar to a basketball team i was on i had no business playing professional basketball let's be <laughs> honest here right but I was on teams because I made other people look good and I was really good at it and I didn't complain about it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I should, I know, I knew my job. Like you're on set, let's call it for 95 days. You're doing 16 hour days. A lot of time you're shooting nights. What is nights? It means your day starts at 7 p.m., mm -hmm. 7 p.m. to like 7 a.m. It's cold. It could be snowy. It could, God forbid you're shooting a rainy scene and they have the rain machines going on and you're just getting soaked every take after take after take. Mm -hmm. The people that you are surrounded by, whether it's a locker room or a trailer, are so vital to, to the, the common goal of success. Making a good picture, winning a championship is so vital. I would rather be surrounded by people who are a like just a little less talented but are great to be around than a bunch of uber talented people who suck to be around. If mm -hmm. that makes sense. Now I've had, I've had the fortune of being involved with mostly projects that are just people who are talented and great to be around for the most part. And it just makes it that much better. And it's like, man, it really is like a drug. I find my, like a lot of my friends in Los Angeles, they like to go out to the bar, to the club, whatever make it rain like you know all these stupid unnecessary things and i always find myself there i'm like i just wish i was on set working right now and i know that's a little obsessive i know it's a little workaholic minded but like i just love creating good <laughs> telling really cool stories with great people yeah. and it like it's there's nothing like it and then you, you you put in all this time and effort all this work and then it's done it's like a basketball man. You like post production depression is a very real thing. For ninety days, you have this super important responsibility. You're held accountable. You have to show up on time. Two hundred and fifty people are depending on you for this mm -hmm. for this thing every day. And it's done. Yeah, I was reading something about Angel Angelina Jolie was talking about a post production depression uh, depression yeah same thing you know basketball season you're leaning against a wall for 10 months and you're fighting this thing and you're fighting this thing and you're going you know health and staying healthy and winning and keeping your numbers up and making everyone happy and dealing with your coach and then it's and then you're like you're in the middle of a field and you're just like it's like elysium in the gladiator you know it's like what is going on right now now you have no, you're, you're like questioning your purpose it's existential at this point and same thing when you end a production. If you don't have another project after you end a big project, you're, you're like floating. And it's like, you're like, oh, 
you question so many things about your life. It's scary, but um, it really is crazy. And then you you like you crave, and then you have, to, and then you have to wait a year. Mm. <laughs> so you do you do this project, this all this cool. <laughs> then you can't talk about it. You can't show pictures. You can't post anything. It's you know if you're on something that's super secret, super NDA, like some of those high studio things, can't do anything about it. Can't talk whatever. And then it comes out. It's like oh my god. That's right. I forgot about all this stuff. And and then you get praised. And it's like, it's just, and you see all the hard work that of all the people that you were there with for so long, it finally pays off. Good movie or bad, good show or bad, whatever. You know, I, I've been fortunate. I haven't really been on any bad productions. All of the things I've been in have done relatively well. Um and it's just so gratifying to see the payoff. You know, people come up to me, I'm such, you know, I loved it. I really loved it. I'm like, hey, honestly, thank you. Because when we were shooting it, I had no f-ing idea of what this was going to be like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're just such a, like, you're just such a small piece in this giant puzzle. And it's so important to remember that. Um, but you like, you create this body of work and it just, it's there. And then it lives, it's there forever and no one can take it from you. And if you're one of the, like the lucky ones to be in like a really, really good big movie, they can, it's like a championship. No one can ever take that from you. You can't say to Shaq. Why? Cause he's won so many championships and he has so many accolades and you can't take it from him. Nothing. It's, you know, yeah, he'll let you know. And he'll let you know. <laughs> yep. He'll let you know. I, I can't imagine the, 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 the letdown after because I remember at my athletic career, you know, petered out and didn't reach the level of yours. You know, I'm sure. I mean, way earlier you were talking about if you go back and talk to yourself. I have so many things I would say to myself when I was, you know, away my my my, my pro career. But uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that kind of letdown after you put so much into a production and then it comes to an end. Did you one thing that did you say earlier that you were working on? writing something kind of based on the yeah. situation with your mom. Like, sure. That really piqued my interest. Um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm putting things, I'm putting some things together. Um, I'm definitely not a screenwriter, but I'm working on some stuff. Uh, it's very early stages. Um, I feel like you have to play yourself. I mean, there's not many six, eight Jewish guys anywhere, let alone in Hollywood. I don't think. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I submit that it won't be me. Um, I'll probably, I will be in it, but most likely the character won't be Dane. It'll be someone else. Um, and it will probably be based on a lot of times these, like based yeah. on a true story, you gotta, it's still Hollywood, man. You gotta embellish a little bit and kind of make it a story and make it compelling. Um, you know, I just, I, I'm interested in writing. I'm interested in producing. I still think that is along that strata of acting. I don't think I'm becoming like a real estate agent or a crypto trader. It's still within that entertainment realm for me. Um, But it just dials back to like me doing shit that makes me uncomfortable and like that I don't want to do, but I know it's good for me, I guess. Um, But yeah, I have a lot of downtime right now. So I am putting some things together. And I've read enough scripts where, like, I know how to structure a script myself, I mm-hmm. suppose. 
I'm I'm curious, and and we've had this has got to be the longest one of these we've done. Like, it's such I'll, an I'll epic, go Joe Rogan. I don't it's, care. It's such an Time epic conversation. It. It's uh, Time but uh, you know, I'm curious because maybe I don't I don't know what you can and can't comment on because of the the strike. I know you can't anything you've been in, but I don't know like historically if you can do right now like your five favorite movies of all time or oh, that's sure because uh, I'm curious about favorite movies of all time if you were to heavyweights uh, on Disney. <laughs> It's a, it's a, it was like all the guys from uh, Mighty Ducks. Yeah, I remember. I've seen that a million times. Yeah, that's a nostalgic movie for me. Um, Back to the Future. Another really solid Number one. Number two, especially. Uh, Jurassic Park. Oz. Which one? Uh, Jurassic Park, the first one, is is really great. Um, I actually just did a, I filmed a project with <laughs> De- DeWanda Wise, we were down in New Orleans uh, about a month and a half ago. She was she was in um, Jurassic World Dominion. Mm-hmm. She was the airplane pilot. Okay, yep. Um, she's great. She's she's very very talented actress. Um, uh, chef, probably. That's, that's a great one. Yeah, in that range, and then the Blair Witch Project. Oh my! Oh man. You remember, lost me on that one. That was, I couldn't do that one. I remember when that came out. I remember it was it was such a big thing, and everyone was like, oh, my God, it's so new. And I went and saw it, and I got so nauseous from the camera work. I oh, had yeah. to go out into the hallway for like 10 minutes and found then go footage. back in. That's like, that genre is called found footage. Found footage? Yeah, because it's like, um, first of all, it's the, the movie itself is great. You know, it's amazing. But first, they had a $30,000 budget. I think they are the number two film today budget to earnings yeah it was amazing how much they made i'm not a fan of that you sure. I mean, all the others you named i'm like yep yeah, they might not be in my top five but they're in my they're up there for for different reasons but that's the, the one that, the thing for me that makes that puts this movie it's my number one favorite horror movie of all time because similar to jaws the way they went about it okay it's like 1999 the internet isn't quite out yet they created this myth they had people really believing that this shit was real. Yeah. They would go to film festivals and put up missing ads of the actors. Like really like put these people on the missing the missing persons list. And they they worked with like Discovery Channel and created a documentary, a fake documentary about the mythology behind the Blair Witch. And people thought it was real. The way they shot this movie, where they put these three actors in the woods. And every day they'd find a milk crate with a film canister and inside the film canister gave them prompts of what their character is doing that day. The rest was up to them. They were at the end of the movie, they returned the camera equipment to lower the budget even more. And this, this went viral. Yeah. It it was viral before going viral was a thing. Exactly. Social media. Like it is, it is in hindsight, really. And the actors filmed it which is crazy and people to this day some people still don't know that it's not real on top of all of that i'm gonna ruin it for you bobby the movie's terrifying you never see her you never see the blair witch once i know (laughs) it's like jaws you don't see jaws till the end of the movie it's terrifying for me the most effective horror movie of all time is jaws because people didn't go swimming that year in the ocean People I mean, did not go swimming. People didn't go swimming. And then for the next, you know, 30 years, like they were culling shark populations because of the terror they were yeah. in. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what. Here's what I can't talk about. A24. 
because A24 is a studio that is abiding by uh, SAG's rules for actors. They, they are shooting things right now, and you can talk about and promote their movies because the things they're shooting right now is abiding by SAG's what they want. Mm. A24 just put out a movie called Talk to Me. Have you heard of this? No. Oh, my God. The two directors, Daniel and Michael, these Australian YouTube brothers, made this movie called Talk to Me, and it is everything that horror should be. It is fresh. It is new. It is not a sequel. It is so expertly shot. The story is so compelling and deals with issues of grief and paranormal shit. And it's all, there's no big names in it. And the movie is just tight. And it's a fun ride. I've already seen it twice in theaters. I went to the premiere. It is so good. I, I, talk to I, me. Talk to me. I will, I will pay for your movie tickets if you go see this thing. It's so good. It's a, so it's about these, they have this hand that if you touch it, you, you, these spirits go inside of you. And you can only, it's not, you get 90 seconds and then you have to let go of the hand or else the, the spirits stay inside of you. And, but they, they wield this thing at parties like it's a drug. They strap you into the chair and you hold the hand and you say, talk to me and goof happens you know your eyes turn completely black and all this stuff you know things spin out of control and go wrong oh man it, it, it's just it's such it's the best horror movie i've seen in the past five years maybe 10 okay. it is so good and a24 uh, that they're like my favorite studio i want to work with them so bad everything they put out is gold um they did everything ever all at once okay yep um yep. But they did Hereditary, they did um, 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 Hereditary and Midsummer. Um, What's the movie with Sandra Bullock in? That's Bird Box. Bird Box. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm not, that's not that's not A24. No. Okay. Uh, that wasn't. That's another streaming service who used to be a DVD company. But, <laughs> um, yeah, but I, like just everything A24 is doing right now incredible they're doing the new crystal lake the friday the 13th okay tv show that's in development right There's now a friday the 13th television show it's it's in development it's on the way wow. it, that's going to be it's going to be good jason Voorhees is my favorite i like horror icon mm -hmm. of all time the hockey mask yeah. oh yeah do you have is there and i don't know if this is something you've mentioned but is there a character for jason Voorhees? and i was gonna say that you yeah. would you would in terms of non-human yeah, characters, yeah. Jason Voorhees is probably number one for me. Um, Candyman used to scare. <laughs> oh yeah, Tony Todd. <laughs> and and then the que another question that I have is is do you have are there if I was to be like your your favorite all time actors? Uh, okay. Do, do you have yeah. do you have some Pierce Brosnan? Probably yep. number one. I knew that by the way. I did. I idolized him as a child. Yeah, I remember that. It was it was. It wasn't a basketball player, and it was Pierce Brosnan was, was your your, yeah. your idol as a kid. But I, I wanted to be a spy because he was James Bond, obviously. And then I was like, "Oh, he's an actor. I can be a spy and other things. That's cool." Um, I really like Pierce Brosnan. I I like Chris Pratt. I like Chris Pratt right yeah. now. I, I I you know he's I've met him before. He's a really nice dude, and I just think like you know I he's been on some podcasts and I've listened to his stories and I just think he's a great all around guy. And he's from Hawaii and he like 
used to work in restaurants and stuff and uh, he's one of those guys that like gives off it's like I, i'm kind of not supposed to be here but i'm having fun type thing yeah um yeah and then i don't know i think jason momoa is cool mm-hmm. uh i just i kind of like his brand i suppose but I don't know. I, 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 and you know, right now for me, the guy that means the most to me, I would say, is Dave Batista. Right. Um, similar, similar track to me. Granted, I don't have the following that he has coming from wrestling, but he is defying sizeism mm-hmm. right now. You look at a guy like Batista who is massive. He, he's six four, which is tall enough, but he's like 260, 270. Mm-hmm. And he's specifically at this point right now, he's just like, I want to play roles that people say I can't. And he wants to tell really cool stories and he wants to play really compelling characters. And I can't tell you as a tall dude who's six, eight, how many people in this town tell you, you can't do this because you're too tall. Mm. And he's just defying that he's using his platform and, you know, his presence in, you know, his superhero franchise that he Mm -hmm. was in, uh, helped him out immensely and he's a great actor mm-hmm. um and i really like i really feel for what he's doing and what he's pursuing and it like it means a lot to me and i see him and i'm like god i really want to do what he's doing um and i'm like i'm very uh, envious is not the word but i'm i'm like you know i'm i'm deeply struck and how many tall way. guys are there? There's, there's you, there's Batista, well, there's Vince there's Vaughn, who you don't see. Vince Vaughn, I, I love I love right. his career as well. Uh Jacob Alordi is six seven. Nicholas Braun is another guy who's six seven. He's in the the show uh he's in a show that I can't mention, I guess. There was um, one guy um in uh can I mention a show? Yeah, you're not in Game Zach. of Thrones. Oh, the mountain. Yeah, the mountain. Yeah, yeah. the mountain. He's like six eight. He's my he's a he was a bodybuilder. He's a big guy, yeah. yeah. Okay. I remember it's so funny before you made it and I actually hit him up and was like, and I told you you should have, but uh, someone that both of you know, Sean McNally. Who, oh no. I was going to say someone, someone who both of you know, who's not an actor, but we were always like Nick should've. Billings. Yep. 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 <laughs> no, he's yep, an actor. Yep. Yep. I mean, he is an actor. He's a different guy, but, but we, I knew I it. How when, did I know when, that? When yeah, they were yeah, casting, yeah, yeah. they were looking for someone to play Chewbacca in some, cause uh, the actor that played him for the longest time was, you know, he was, you know, it was, Peter Mayhew. Yeah, Peter mm-hmm. Mayhew was starting to have, you know, he just couldn't really, yeah, health issues. And they were looking for someone like 6'10 or above. And we were like, How tall is Billing? 7'1? Seven, 7'1, one? Seven, one, yeah. And we were like, Nick, man, you got to go. He's he's a he's a sci fi nerd. He's yeah. everything. We're like, and he was like, He's like, Yeah, and he never did. And then now, once you started making it, I was sending him all articles about, you know, the, what did the he predator. Say? Oh, he just got pissed off. Really? He just, yeah. No, no, I mean, he was like, He thought it was awesome that you were the predator, but he was like, Man, I missed my shot. I was like, Yeah, you did. What's well, funny, the guy that got to fill Peter Mayhew's spot is a, is a kid named Eunice, uh, who's a Finnish basketball player. Okay. And they, they put out like a Europe-wide casting call for Chewbacca. Mm-hmm. And what they did was they got in touch of the national team coaches across Europe. So the Finnish basketball team, there was something about Peter Mayhew's eyes were spaced a specific distance, mm-hmm. and they had to have blue eyes. And this kid, Eunice... Um, fit the description. I think he's like 6'11". Yeah. Okay. Peter Mayhew is like 7'3 or 7'2". Yeah. 
Um, but this kid, Eunice, his eyes were spaced perfectly. And, I, I, you know, he probably went through a crazy amount of rounds of um, auditions and callbacks and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, can you imagine getting that phone call from I, your national yeah. team coach? And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet for the first three rounds they didn't even tell him what it was. Yeah. So he just was like, what is this? This is stupid and crazy. And then they reveal that. to My friend Spencer, who's a UK champion kickboxer, he's 50 years old. He's 6'7", 250. He was Vader in the last, um, whatever, one of the last Star yeah. Wars movies. And he didn't know what it was. Like, they wouldn't tell him. And by the third callback, he was like, this is definitely Vader. Um, you know, and he was like, he told me when he got the role, the measures that they went through to like protect him on set, they would like put him in this cloak and then put, put him in like a car, an SUV to drive him like 15 feet. And then they would drive <laughs> the SUV through the building. What? Like it down the hallway to get him to set because it was so under wrap. I mean, you right. get a, you get a yeah. photo of, Vader, man, that's like insane. That's like a paparazzi's dream. Mm -hmm. But this guy played Darth Vader and like did the walk and like held the lightsaber. Like that's, that's, you know, one thing that because it's you know we're we're coming up on this has been such a amazing conversation, but also it's like you know you got to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. The young ones, my wife's gonna murder me and, and all that sort of stuff. But something that I have to ask about that I haven't yet that. You had a post like that everybody missed this, but weren't you the efficient at Kelly Olenek's wedding? Yeah, <laughs> I was. I married him. How did that happen? Uh, I planted that seed a while ago. When they got engaged, I was like, I'm, I'm officiating a wedding. And they laughed, right? Ha, ha, ha. But I was like, no, I'm serious. I really want this. I want to do this. Um, and I don't think it took Kelly much convincing when he realized he didn't have to pay for an efficient. <laughs> he got one for free. Um but uh, yeah, he just, you know, he was like, you want to do this? And I was like, sure. Um, that was one of, that was the craziest weekend of my life. That was August. That was so, okay. I'm going to rehash the story real quick. I'm going to boil it down. That major movie that I was in yeah. came out of Friday of that year, of last year. Okay. Um, the cast and crew, director, Dan Trachtenberg, myself, Amber Midfender, Dakota Beavers, we all went to Disneyland that day, which is in Anaheim. I live in West Hollywood. Anaheim, with no traffic, is 45 minutes south of LA. LA. Okay. Kelly's wedding is the same weekend. So that this is a Friday. I'm the officiant of the wedding. I have to write the wedding. I have not written it yet. Okay. Meanwhile, so... I'm driving down to Anaheim. Kelly's wedding is in San Ynez, which is two hours north of LA. Okay, so do the math on that. Keep in mind, it's Friday. I drive down to Disneyland. I do the whole thing with us. We had a plaid, which is like the guide of Disney that you pay 10 grand for, and mm-hmm. they escort you, and you cut mm-hmm. all the lines. You can go wherever you want. It's amazing. Once you do that, you can't do Disneyland can't any do other way. Right. Um, it's funny though. I did go to Disneyland with Paula Abdul one time. We shared a, we like had the same publicist and we'd be, we're good friends. I love Paula, but we went together and I was like, should we get a plaid? She was like, no, no, watch this. And we went to every line and she would just be like, hi. And they'd be like, come this way. And then we just cut all the lines because it's Paula Abdul. Right. And then we got paparazzi and that's a whole other situation. But um, 
So anyway, so okay, up until 11 a.m., I'm doing the whole Disneyland thing with cast and crew. I drive three and a half, four hours up to San Yanez. I'm late for this rehearsal dinner that I'm supposed to be conducting. <laughs> while while I'm driving up to San Yanez, I get a, a Twitter DM from one of the producers of an eight uh, an HBO show about the Lakers. I messaged him. That's right. I yes. messaged him and said, you need to look at this guy, Dane. He's a legit actor and a legit basketball player. Jeff. Yep. yep. He, he reached out to me because I think he's a New England guy yeah. or something like that. He was like, I want you to audition for these two roles. Wow. Life is good. My movie came out today. I'm just at, just was at Disneyland. I'm about to officiate one of my best friend's weddings. Now this guy's messaging me about, you know, two roles in this really big show. Unbelievable. I, I, you know, I print out, it's 12 pages of dialogue, which is a ton. It's three scenes per character. It's 12, pa 12 pages of dialogue to remember mm -hmm. is a lot. And you have to send it in a self tape. That's a lot of dialogue. Now I haven't written Kelly's wedding yet. I'm late to the rehearsal dinner. Tomorrow is the wedding. It's also my birthday. It's also the same weekend my giant major $70 million movie comes out. Like, okay, my phone, it wasn't even fun. My phone was like overheating. <laughs> I hired an acting coach, which acting coaches are like $250 an hour to like run me through these scenes. Like, you know, on the Saturday of a wedding, before the wedding, you're, you're playing golf, you're doing all the activity. I was locked in my Airbnb by myself, grinding these 12 pages with this acting coach. Meanwhile, I still have to write Kelly's wedding. <laughs> Kelly's texting me like, yo, where, I need to see what you're gonna say. Like, we have to clear it with Jackie, like my, his wife. Like, you, what's, you have to send me, and I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I, I will, I will. He's on the golf course. Um, it was, it was crazy. So I get, I get to the wedding, it worked out. Like I, it was actually funny cause I was in such a good like, line memorization mode that I kind of just like acting is about delivering the message of what the lines say, unless you have a really stickler writer where you have to stick to the lines. So like I, I was on like the guidelines of this wedding that I wrote. My brother helped me write this wedding, but like I delivered it amazing and it was great. It all worked out. And I eventually shot all the self tapes and People were coming up to me after the wedding and like, we want you to officiate our wedding. It was so good. <laughs> Short and sweet. You keep it funny. You make fun of yourself, you know, whatever. But you keep it charming and cute and it will all work out. And yeah, and did, it's funny because they got the pictures from like People Magazine. Yeah, I was going to say, did any publication actually put two and two together? They, no. That's amazing. No. And they, had, they dropped the ball. Um yeah, it could have been in People Magazine. I was in People Magazine, but I wasn't named. Mm. Um, but yeah, that that was the craziest week of my life. And then I I submitted those tapes, and they went to producers, which is great. It got through casting, but then I never heard back. And I was like, I was pretty bummed about that. That's to me. I mean, that seems like a role you were made for. That, that guy, Jeff, I, I was so confused because I messaged him like, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, oh, I don't know. It's out of my hands. Like, well, you wrote the book that inspired this show. You should have some, and you reached out to me. Right. I don't know. Maybe he was reaching out to other people. Um, yeah, as I well. don't. I don't know. I mean, I know that I've read a bit that it's kind of like I think he's on 
like he wrote the book and that like he's on as sort of like a consultant but I, he's I do just think like tacked he, on he has producer. i think no actual creative input yeah power over the well i don't know yeah. i i was like and they were good tapes too i was i was very confident um about them but yeah that was that was like a really big i was also yeah i mean i was shooting another big production at the time as well um I can't talk about that, but it, it was, it, it, it was a big production. Um, just life was, life was really crazy a year ago right now. <laughs> so I guess what all, what all kind of, I guess, close on is, um, well, I don't want to steal Bobby's thunder. Bobby's got some more questions. No, no, no. But, uh, Bobby's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> He's so excited is, about his new car. It is. <laughs> he wants to drive right now. <laughs> He's jingling the keys. <laughs> R.I.P. to the Escalade. Yeah. Um, is one, you know, what are your what are your goals now? I know you you had your goals and hoops, and I, I think you're really one of those rare people that that really met them. You know, for the most part, I know you wanted to play in Japan, but like, you, you didn't have to pay for college. You you I don't think you were a kid that you grew up when you were a little kid dreaming of playing pro hoops, but you were able to do it for almost a decade. Yeah. Get yourself a. a, a a cushion for the next phase. Top ten on Sports Center. Yep, I remember Dumped that. Dumped on Troy Barney's. You know, yeah, R.I.P. Troy Barney's right there. But uh, Eric Freed, it was because of him because he said during the broadcast that I wanted to be on Sports yeah. Center. You want to know how that? Uh, we'll do this really quick. Before the game, I would always pee in the public restroom because I didn't want to go down to the locker room. So I would literally just in my basketball uniform go in the UNH lobby <laughs> and pee in the public. And I'm peeing in the urinal next to Eric Freed. <laughs> And I'm like, yo, I just want to let you know. He's like, what do you got for me today? I was like, I'm going to be on Sports Center. I want to be on Sports Center. <laughs> I've seen John Holland. I've seen all the guys. Yeah. I'm going to do it. And he's like, okay. And then I dunked in the game. And he told Frank Sullivan on the broadcast, like, he said he's going to be on Sports Center. And they, yeah, I we went just, to the bar that night. It was, it was crazy. The, the craziest thing, and I love Troy. You know, he's someone I'm trying to get down on. I'm still, show. we're still, you know, I still yeah. follow him on Twitter. He's, but, but you know, he's great. He's still playing. I know he is. He's one of the one. few, the it's, proud. He, he that really still is. Him and John Holland. But but that wasn't the only time you got him in your college career either. It was just like, oh Troy, don't jump. Like, Why I are had, you jumping with Dave? I had like four dunks that game. Yeah, I know. I remember them. Like I had twenty one and twelve. Um, yeah, that was like that was amazing. I, and I think what didn't make it into the highlight because it was all that he said he, was, he wants to be on it is. From what I remember on that dunk, you got busted in the mouth on the other end, and then you were yeah. running down, and you had like a bloody like you know, it was lip, a rebound, and then you, yeah, someone hit me in the nose. My nose was bleeding, yeah, and I held my nose with my left hand, and Maine was zoning us, so I was in the dunker spot, yeah. and Alvin James screened Alvin. Alvin drove to the free throw line, and the help stepped up, and I he bounced past it to me, and because I had my blood on my left hand, I just went up with my right and just yeah. threw it down with one hand. Because you were usually a two a two two handed dunker. guy. Yeah. And that time, it's it's not even a, it's not even an amazing dunk. I mean, it's a cool yeah. dunk. It's one of my better dunks, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, it was just like a one handed dunk over Troy. Yeah. And then it, it was we were it was capped off a run, yeah. and it's a timeout. Yep. Right. And then you see like Tyrese Gibbs like yeah. chest bumping me, and like you know I I had to I had the blood yeah. on my yeah. shirt, but like <laughs> yeah, that was. And what's crazy is I think the next week Ronnie had an even better yep. dunk against yep. Albany. And it didn't. It didn't make it. That was great. <laughs> I'm sorry, so, Roddy. So the, the, the question that I was going to ask is: is you're one of the rare guys, I think, that you can look back really with no, for the most part, no regrets. Everybody has some regrets, but on, but, but, but yeah, on your career, that's true. Uh, but 
when all is said and done the next 10 years and the end of your career, the rest of your career, what are your goals now long-term? And do you think when all is said and done and you reach retirement age, do you see yourself coming back to the, to the Northeast, to the Lexington area, or do you think you're going to be an East uh, West coast guy? Great question. Um, So I do, I have a whiteboard in my apartment of the things that I want. Um, There are a number of roles that I think I would fit particularly well, upcoming roles that I have my mindset on. And I'm, I, I can't mention them right now. One of them I mentioned earlier, I, w- I would like to be Jason Voorhees yeah. at some point. They, you know, that would be cool, but that's, it's such a coveted role. Anyway, um, but for me, my goals, I do want to write a show and star in it, a complete show, eight episodes, whatever, whether it's a mini series or, you know, whatever. Um, next year, I want I want to book like because obviously, historically, I've played non-human characters. I'm really leaning towards human characters right now. I'm taking a lot of classes. I'm studying a lot. I really want to start booking bigger, you know, quote unquote, face roles. Mm-hmm. As an actor, uh, your most valuable assets are your face and your voice because. You know, up until now, without AI, you can't replicate it, duplicate it, replace it. Um, right. You know, Chris Pratt is Star Lord. No one else can be Star Lord. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I just when they cover your face, it, it it hampers your storytelling skills. Now, granted, you have to use your skills in other aspects, non-verbally, but I really want to start leaning into the human side of storytelling. Like I tie back into Dave Batista, um, just like what he's doing. So that's really what I'm working on. Um, I just want to play really compelling characters that instill emotion upon people that just tell cool stories. Um, whether I'm a good guy or a bad guy, protagonist, antagonist. I would like to, th- to play a protagonist at some mm-hmm. point. I've never played a good guy. <laughs> which is kind of crazy. Um, But I I just, I really want to expand my storytelling as a human. Um, When I moved to Los Angeles, my three-year goal was to be on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard. And I made it with 11 days left. And so I guess my three-year goal beyond that, which now I'm a year in, would be I'd like my face to be on a billboard in los angeles i won't narrow it down to sunset um just uh, my face be on a billboard in la would be great not as a measure of like me 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 look at me but i just feel like that's a that's a pretty cool ruler measuring stick of like how well i'm doing you know um maybe five maybe that's a five-year goal but i just yeah i i I want to get into more compelling storytelling. And there are also like directors that I want to become quote unquote, like frequent collaborators with mm-hmm. who call me back and trust me. You, you know, I talk about being bought into a system. I want to have that with, you know, certain decision makers in the entertainment industry, whether be it producers or directors. I want them to be like, Hey, I trust you. I love the way you carry yourself as a, professional and i want you 
like to be a part of my project. That's kind of my dream and my goal is to be like wanted to be on a team, you know, because um, you're just, LA is just a huge sea of people trying to make it, and right. it's hard. It's hard. To, it's really difficult to stand out. Um, you know, it's, you're in a room of people. Basketball is different in the sense that like you're in a room of 30 people and they all who here wants to be in the NBA? You raise your hand. You can go through and go, you can't, you can't, you can't. No, you probably can't either. You're clearing out the room. Maybe there's one person left that could maybe make it the NBA. NBA. They probably won't. Who wants to be an actor? Uh, I guess you could, you could, you could, you know, anyone can be an actor, right? You don't need, there are, there's not really a prerequisite. Maybe you have to have a certain look. Acting is hard. It's really, really, really difficult. Um, and this is the final thing I will, you know, finish on. But like basketball, there's a metric. You play, there's a box score, there's a yeah. score sheet. You can you can analyze someone's performance right there at the end of the day. How's he doing? Oh, he, he had 15 and 12, killed it. Oh, how's he doing this year? Oh, he had 17 and 15. And he's he's he used to shoot 12% from three. Now he's shooting 27% from three. Mm -hmm. Look at that difference. You can throw hard work at this craft and be successful. Acting, you could work harder than everyone else in Hollywood. You could be the best actor in the world and still lose out to someone's nephew or to someone who's banging someone or to someone who just got cast because, I don't know, they had a better self-tape, whatever. It's, it's really, really hard. And it's like the entertainment industry is not necessarily a meritocracy in the sense where basketball, you can just kind of like work hard with a little bit of luck and be successful acting. It's, it's like, it's a lot of luck and time and place and like perseverance basketball sports. You're like, ah, oh, it didn't work out. I blew my knee out in high school. I'm kind of done. You got to move on acting. It's like, man, 20, 30 years grinding it. Um, Ian McClellan, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Mm -hmm. He didn't have his big break until he was 65. Right. That's crazy. How long has he been acting for? You know, yeah. Um, perseverance. Acting is a thing where you can like, you can kind of just work hard and and like, like a, you know, with just sticking to it. I mean, I've been there four years and I've seen a lot of people come and go, but I don't know. Here, my I, I'll leave you with this: you 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 work hard, and you genuinely generally try to do the right thing most of the time it should work out well for you in the long run you know just that's kind of work hard be persistent and just try to do the right thing usually and things tend to work out is what i find be a good person you know um but i don't know i'm freaking i just turned 35 uh, like what am I doing? You know, <laughs> life is weird. Who thought, you know, like who thought yeah. I never thought I'd be sitting here with you guys five years ago. I right? know. Uh, yet here we are, you know, thank you, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dane, thank, thank you so much for joining us. This has really been, I think the most epic conversation we've had on this show since Great. we started. So you mean, you. you mean Wayne's conversation was like, he was talking about, you know, he wasn't talking about being an actor. Or no, like no, no. <laughs> yeah. so thank you dane thanks for having thank me thank you great yeah great awesome time for bed now.